to What Are You Doing Movie Archives. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Down in Front. Our movie this week is Planet Terror. Ah! Go ahead and pop in your DVD or Blu-ray, press play. Boo. Pause when the Troublemaker Studios logo is fade to black. The first thing you can all black, press pause. And in a second, I'll say 3, 2, 1, on pause. And you'll press play or you won't, depending on if you want to be a commentary person or a podcast person. But either way, that's what we're doing, so now you know when. Uh, at the table this week, it's myself, as always, T. Christie, my friend Brian, William Pennefter. Greetings. Sax Carr. What's up? And Trey the Amazing Stokes. Hey. Planet Terror. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> he, he gathers himself. There's a lot... There's a lot to say. I'm actually going to keep myself short here, and we'll have the conversations during the commentary. I, I really like Planet Terror. I like it a lot. Brian. <laughs> <laughs> I have a, I, there's a lot of conversation to be had. I just, yeah, we'll none, none of them really are summarizable, and they would take away from the later conversations. So I'll skip myself. I like it, too. I, it's, I think it goes in that category of, I'm glad this movie exists. Um, it's not necessarily a perfect movie. It's not necessarily a movie I would, I would I love or that I would go back to all that often, but I'm glad somebody out there, along with Death Proof, I'll include Death Proof in that, I'm glad guys had this idea and they actually made it happen and it exists, even if the experiment wasn't all that successful. Sax has a hard out today because we were, we were delayed doing our first commentary and now we're up into the point where he'll have to leave in the middle of this commentary to do what he has to do later on. Well, don't so, worry. Actually, I'm probably leaving around the point in the movie where I stop caring. So that's <laughs> perfect. Oh, right. Awesome. How do you feel about Planetary? I, I like the film a lot, but it definitely has this sort of... I feel it's actually in, uh, endemic of Rodriguez's films where he kind of just feels like every now and again he can go way beyond where like the level is and just make it something that's completely and totally out of left field and blows your suspension of disbelief up your ass and out the rest of your face. And he, I like that sometimes. But I had in, that once in college. Yeah. <laughs> do you think he's trying to emulate Tarantino and he just doesn't do it as well? <laughs> Maybe no, you're right. No. But, but no. I mean, in, in many ways, I just think this movie is great for 90% of it and then there are these little 10% there's, you know, sp- split amongst the chunks where it's sort of like, what? They did that? Or like, okay. Like, and, and I think he felt like the Grindhouse moniker gave him the license to go even further than he normally would with his bizarre crazy. He thought he'd found a forgiving ticket. <laughs> yeah. Cash and, in on it. And again, if I think if he hadn't gone all, all the way over the top, this would be like on my DVD shelf right now. And I would watch it all the time. But, uh, but sadly, no. What's up? No? Sadly, no. No, 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 not no, sadly. Not well. I, if the answer is it's not there, then yes. Ah, uh, <laughs> Trey. I saw this movie with no real no preconception. I, I didn't see Grindhouse in the theater, and this one was released first separately, as I recall. And so I was like, oh, okay, I'll check that out. Um, and I, I did once I realized where this thing was going. I was like, okay, <laughs> you know, I, I really was, uh, you know, I'm impressed. I, boy, he's boy, they they went there. They're by golly, he's doing it. And in a way that Death Proof was also successful in that Death Proof did simulate that style of movie, a different kind of movie, but the still the grindhouse kind of thing, both of which are movies that are made by people who don't know how to fuck to make a movie. Mm-hmm. So so at least by modern standards, so the idea, you know, again, I'm talking about real grindhouse movies, which are literally just exploitation movies where anything goes and you have just the barest, you know, plot structure if you have one at all. And uh, things don't set up and pay off the way, you know, mechanically the way we're used to with them today. So it's nice and refreshing to see a movie of any kind that doesn't follow us uh, uh, that formula just to see what that's like. So I thought I thought that Rodriguez really captured this. The anything goes just to, for the sake of getting the arise out of the audience effect that is kind of a staple of what a grindhouse movie kind of means. Um, it's just that the genre he picked versus the one that, that Tarantino picked is a more entertaining genre because, you know, chicks sitting around talking for two hours is not. You know, yes, it's a grindhouse movie, and yeah, Tarantino nailed it, but that doesn't make it exciting to watch. 
um, the last half of Death Proof is much better than that, of, you know, the rest of it. But but I was really, I, I love this movie for the sheer audacity of, you know, fuck it, let's just do this. Let's just make this, you know, let's just go nuts. At the point where the Troublemaker Studios logo has faded to black as I am here, so point something at the TV. If you don't have a remote, your dick will do. Three, two, one, on pause. Your machine gun like a bunch of people are noticing now that their dick does not have IR. Yeah, yay! Okay, we do get machete in this. The the preview, the preview actually, you know, this is what previews. That's that's how previews start. When I started going to movies as a kid, that's that immediately I went. Look, I kind of feel like now they've made the movie Machete, though they should go make another fictional trailer and put it on the which was put the real Machete trailer on. Yeah. Well, that was, uh, you know, they they talked about doing that and had Grindhouse done better in the theater. It, the yeah. idea was kind of to do a generational thing like, OK, we, we did Death Proof and Planet Terror and now that's Grindhouse 1. Now we'll do Grindhouse 2. Are you which, sure that was the idea? Because I've said they've that, talked that about an, it. And that was an idea that I, about it. that I didn't remember them talking about. But at the time, and I'll go so far as to say this, allow me to finish my tangent before saying I'm wrong. Uh, You're because wrong. Death Proof is... Uh, a movie that a lot of people celebrate. A lot of people like it. It's it's one of those things where it's a sleeper-celebrated movie, where some the people that like it try not to talk about it because they, they have trouble defending themselves. But that being said, some people liking Death Proof aside, I think Tarantino killed the Grindhouse franchise that this could have been. Because imagine how much fun it would be if there was a Planet Terror and another movie like Planet Terror stuck together, and you just go and have a blast at the theater. It costs $10 million to make both movies. It's just the funnest thing ever. And then, like, three years later, there's another Grindhouse thing where Rob Zombie and someone else did this. Next, it could be a thing. It could be a franchise. It could be, oh, I love the first Grindhouse. But the second Grindhouse, where the second movie in the second Grindhouse was fucking awesome, right? And I could imagine this having been a thing. But when you have this problem with marketing where part of the gag of Grindhouse as, uh, uh, is that you have to sit through all of it. I think if the first time out, just the first time, not forever, they could have had death-proofy movies in the Grindhouse, two, three, whatever. If the first time out... You don't make them sit through something really boring and everyone has fun with it and everyone likes all four hours of both movies. Then you can get people in for the second one and then you do a boring one there. But, hey, it was a style choice, et cetera, et cetera. I think that Death Proof alienated audiences so much that it was so boring, quotey, for the first hour is what kept this from being a franchise and, bet, and possibly kept it from being a hit. Because at the time, even though I saw the Grindhouse double feature in theaters on opening weekend in Florida with a bunch of Misfits burnouts um, – Everyone was having a good time, but nobody left the next day saying, you should go see Grindhouse, because they would always say, wait for the DVD and just watch the first one and the last half of the second one, because you don't want to sit there for that, that third quarter of the of the experience. I think if they didn't have that to say, it would have had better word of mouth, et cetera, et cetera. Might have had a better shot at getting done again. As it is, it's it's kind of this one weird fluky event that happened once when Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez had an idea. But I could have seen it being an amazing, not franchise franchise, but thing that happens on a regular basis well i also feel like it, it that so much of the so many people that that watch movies are sheep that if they had just kept making grindhouse features every couple of years it would have become a thing whether it was a good idea or not right sure and if they had just committed to it and there was a grindhouse every two years you would eventually start going to them and you would just be like oh i gotta go see the new grindhouse that's just the way the world is but they stopped committing to it i don't think the problem is and it's been said that people just don't get the joke I don't. I never went to a grindhouse movie in my life. I didn't go to revival theaters until I moved to L.A. And this came out long before I moved to L.A. It's not that people don't get the joke. It's that Death Proof is a boring Tarantino movie. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. not saying it's a bad. One. You, you can only enjoy boring... Death Proof ironically. Right. You, you, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly right. This is not the kind of thing that people wouldn't have gotten. And in fact, I think this is one of the most fun and watchable and just press play and you're in kind of movies 
that has come out in the last few years. It's just so fucking absolutely what it is. And it's it's been said by both of those guys that during the process of making it, they knew what each other's movie was, but they uh, and they even helped like uh, Tarantino was a ghostwriter on Planet Terror and the opposite. Uh, but they hadn't actually seen each other's movies until the very last minute, and they talk about it like it's a cute little anecdote. I think it's indicative of oh, okay, so that's possibly why. And I th- I, I would I would have liked to see the Grindhouse where they had talked throughout and said, all right, are we both doing fun, crappy movies? Well, I was going to do one of those things where, you know, like all the time in those old, like the first feature was this really long, boring thing, but there was a really cool end scene or something fun happened. It's like, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say, watching this movie, I, I had no clue who Rose McGowan was, but uh, after the opening sequence, I, I like her a lot. I, I like her a lot in the opening sequence. I also, if you watch the interviews with her, she's very witty and very pleasant. Yeah, she's and, actually uh, pretty sharp. I'm not saying I approve or would have made the same decision, but Rob Rod left his family for Rose McGowan, and I can see how that happened. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally understand how that happened. You can kind of see, it probably happened right after they shot this scene, I would think. Um, in fact, there's some there's some scenes in the making of where um, where he talks about how, you know, Rodriguez, you know, one of the things that's great about Rodriguez, and I, I admire the guy a lot more than I often admire the, the work he does, but that's okay. Um, it's you know, sort of spirit as a filmmaker. Yeah, yeah his, you know, obviously his, he's one man band. Yeah, he's one man band. You know, all of us can relate to him. You know, he's you know because yeah. he's a guy who does his own visual effects as often as possible and does his own editing and he does his own music, which is uh, impressive. The score as for well. this movie fucking yeah. rules. I and, love it. Uh, and and there's a scene in the and again the DVD the making of where you know he he got together with Rose McGowan just with a video camera and sort of shot you know conceptual. Got some, just some ideas of how he's going to shoot this. So it's just them in a room and she's doing this. And I'm like, yeah, see. This oh my you, know, you just yeah. sort of tell like you know this is a slippery slope you're on dude I can tell on this video that already you were in trouble I forget where Rose McGowan got her real first start she was on Charmed. the TV show Charmed? yeah Charmed no but I mean she wasn't she in like Mean Girls or something before that not in no, Mean Girls but, so. but, but Mean Girls isn't that much before this right well, uh, yeah, she was no. she was she had something where she time. came out uh, during the same time she was dating uh, what's his name the Antichrist Manson Manson there we go. Uh, Not Charles Manson, uh, Marilyn, yeah, Manson. Marilyn Manson. And, and I, I couldn't help but think when I saw that, like, oh, this girl's going to go somewhere. She had something. And I, uh, and when when I found out she was in this, I was actually really charmed by it. She was in Encino Man and Biodome. There you go. She was in Biodome? She was in wow. two Pauly Shore movies. And The Doom Generation, is that? That's, oh, that's uh, not a thing. No, but that's supposed to be good. She's in Scream. And she's in Scream. Okay. Yeah, weird. Crazy. It's go-go, not cry-cry. She cry, does have cry. kind of an Ava Gardner look, and they call it out uh, later. Uh, Sex, tell the, uh, tell the listeners abroad about... Um, the New Beverly. New Beverly Cinema, which is owned cinema. by Tarantino, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the experience of like watching this as would compare to watching like the trailers they'll always play before they play whatever you're gonna watch at the New Bev. Yeah, I mean this is this the Grindhouse is essentially the experience of going to the New Beverly Theater just for the rest of America. Right, right up to and including the <clears throat> the trailers with that with that same tag of of you know da 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 da. Are you a fan of that experience? And, and I, I mean, I enjoy it. I, the New Beverly and and uh, the Silent Theater here in L.A. have become slightly hipster elitist in many ways. Yeah, and, that was a long time coming. <laughs> and yeah. so as a result, it becomes it's, it's starting to become a little bit full of itself. And sometimes you go in there and you can just kind of feel like the whole movie theater has a giant tongue and a giant cheek the whole time, and that's a little bit annoying. Uh, I do like they have a is it something horrible or something there's a there's a group that just finds the worst examples of things and cuts them into like funny montage movies. Oh, uh, um, I know this. Give me a second. Keep yeah, going. and uh, they are always doing like the trailers or little movies uh, before or after things of those. Everything is terrible. Yeah, everything's terrible. Yeah, and and so you no it, pizza. 
<laughs> for the one person who's seen everything is terrible, that's funny. You go to you go to a uh, you go to a new bev. You can usually see a, everything is terrible about whatever genre you're looking into. So in the chat room, uh, Joe will be troping for TV tropes for us, uh, and he points out your makeup is running as a trope, which that was an easy one. Uh, yeah, I think that's just her face. Her makes it face run. is running. Maybe stop <laughs> crying, face. stripper lady. Yeah. Anyway, what do you got? Feelings? Big deal. Shut up. Now, okay. As someone who has not seen, I, I have no experience with uh, on a grand scale, especially I haven't grown up with, these sorts of movies. I've seen a lot of really bad movies, uh, and I've even seen some really awful trailers at the New Bev. Well, they'll, you know, they'll show Aliens, like the original 70mm Aliens print, but before that, they'll have some fun with it, and they'll show you, you know, like, uh, and I apologize, but this is the title, they'll show you, like, the trailer for Boss Nigga, or that kind of thing, and it's yeah. like, oh, it's so wacky and fun that they're showing these, right? Uh, I haven't actually spent much time with those movies, but for some reason, I absolutely recognize what's happening on screen as being specifically that, that which I have no experience with, and not uh, G.I. Joe or something that's bad, but they didn't know, kind of bad. <laughs> like, this is, I can tell that they're referring to the way they talk and the sort of the specific dialogue and the, and the cheesiness and the things. that They even talk about in the DVD uh, commentaries about how it was a thing at the time where we, we can afford Faye Ray for one day or Raquel Welch or something. And we'll get the one shot of her that she has in the movie. And then we'll put that in the trailer and that'll be the thing. And people come see it. So they only have to pay for a, a, a B list actor for, you know, a, a grand. And then they would spend the rest of their budget on whatever crappy effects and stuff. Uh, and how that even works here with Bruce Willis, who's basically just in the trailer. And then everything that happens in the trailer is in the movie. Like yeah. that's it. But the, but the fun fact about it is uh, Bruce Willis, I think he was there for literally a day. And uh, and and if you look at if you know if you know that going in, look how every shot he's in, every shot he's in where you don't see clearly that it's Bruce Willis, it's not Bruce Willis. There's a shot where he steps out of the truck coming up where he, it's a silhouette, um, you know, and it's that's not Bruce Willis. Mm-hmm. That was shot earlier, and then you know Willis came in literally for one day, did this entire movie in like a day, where it's like, okay, we need a close up you here, say this line. Yep. We need a close up you against this background, say this line. We need a wide shot of you here, boom, 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 do the speech here, right. and now from here on, you're a rubber guy, it's somebody else. Uh, so it, what I like about Rodriguez, the rubber guy is so clearly somebody else. Exactly. Too. One of the things that you know what I what I really like about Rodriguez is that even when he has a budget, um, and Cameron's another guy like this, even when he has a budget, he goes, you know, I don't need to spend money on this here. Here's how I'm going to save money. Right. You know, and he, he still has a low-budget sensibility, which makes his movies look even more than their budgets. This uh, Indian-looking gentleman who's doing the British accent. The, the guy doctor, from Lost. He yes. was born. His name, uh, when he came out, was uh, the guy from Lost Jones or whatever his last name <laughs> yeah. is. Like, that's Andrews, that's uh, just what his name is now. It's like the there, chat room, uh, see, there was a shot there just of, of a guy actually, there that's going to take off a mask and be Bruce Willis, but it wasn't Bruce Willis in the shot we just saw. This is our first, uh, if I recall correctly, it's our first, first sort of... Rodriguez? Uh, or? I was Rodriguez. Say, well, Rodriguez, yes, but I was going to say uh, exploitation kind of film. Uh, Joe points out the TV Trope's definition of that, and we'll, we'll have a conversation about that now. Um, uh, TV Trope says, a film which focuses on morbid elements a lot, the type of morbid elements that fascinate or excite people, a crime movie, that kind of thing, uh, excessive violence, sexuality, that kind of thing. Uh, under that... Do you guys agree with that terminology? It's, that's yeah. I mean, that's generally what an exploitation film is. It's a field. It's a film that appeals to you know the, the negative in all of us. It's like I just want to go see you know women get raped. Okay, there's yeah. a movie for that. Go right ahead. So. Well, I, mean, I just want to see some fucked up shit. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, great. Yeah. <laughs> Have we got I a movie a new for bev you? Friday night? Here you go. Yeah. I think but, though that, that that those movies came also from a time where there was a a real like. Movies were almost novel on some on some level, like where you, you, there just wasn't so much saturation that someone could say, "Like, do you hear about that movie that has like a plane exploding in it?" And you'd be like, "Oh my yeah. god, I have to see it! I don't care about the yeah. plot or who's in it or what's going on." That's true. We've yeah. talked we've talked about this in, in in other commentaries where you know deathbed, <laughs> yeah, deathbed, the bed that eats the the um, the 
the Grindhouse era was back when the studios were making serious movies. You know, yeah. you wouldn't get a movie of you know aliens and you know gunfights and all that from from a serious studio. You know, Paramount was making Cleopatra and you know ordinary people and dramas. Kramer and, versus Kramer on the waterfront and things like that. Um, you know, you had to go to like your Roger Corman, your AIP, and then the you know even the sub studios that were even more lowball than than Corman. Corman was kind of like the highbrow guy. Um, and uh, you know to make they would make these these kind of wacky movies with you know aliens and explosions and and guys with machetes and and whatever else. Now it's now this is the sucker staple. punch would be an exploitation. Yeah, thing. now this is the staple of the studios. You know, yeah. as we said many times, it's like now, you know, indies are where you get your serious character dramas, and studios are where you get your bullshit exploitation movies now. Um, except they cost a hundred million dollars, which is bizarre. Now, speaking of the tone of this. Does it work for you guys? Or, or at least, not would it work for you in general all the time, but does Planet Terror's tone work for you? What it, it's, do, yeah, what it's for, doing it for, what for me. It, for what it but, is, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, as a weird little candy bar kind of movie. Uh, yeah, as we say, you know, this movie is setting out to do a very specific thing, and it's, by God, it's, it's doing it. It is doing this, and you can't argue. And you, it's, <laughs> He's you doing the hell out of it. You certainly can't criticize this movie for not being Kramer versus Kramer, because <laughs> it's, it's not what it's trying to do. Um so yeah, it's as long as you're on board with that tone, and I think that's part of the suspension of disbelief, or you know, part of the the magic bean, uh, you know, the part of that contract, that suspension of disbelief contract that you make with a movie when you go in, you go, I know you're going to be this, so just give me that, and we're and we're cool, movie, and it it definitely gives you that. Whereas Death Proof doesn't really, in at least in the contract that I think a lot of the audience members were. Making with the what they thought they were signing up for. What, what they were uh, what they thought they were signing up for when they sat in the theater. I think most people, when they sat down for the grindhouse for the package of both films, they thought they were signing up for something like this. And yeah. with this, with Planetary, they definitely get it. And with Grindhouse or with Death Proof, they get something slightly different. Well, here's the, here's the weirdest also... cameo in the movie, which I I applaud. Fergie, mm-hmm. yeah, Fergie. Who <laughs> 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 I saw this, when I saw this movie, I didn't really know what a Fergie was. Um, I realize now that she's in some musical group that the kids like. But uh, you know, it's like. I can tell you one thing about Fergie is uh, she's also Trey. Wait, she's two thousand and eight. You're two thousand and late. That's fine. <laughs> she she also uh, has a cameo in Poseidon of all things as a you know, as a musician as well, singing a song. But um, you know, it's like I I don't care what else Fergie does. She's a very attractive lady. And uh, what were you going to say? That's nice. Uh, I was saying that what Tarantino did was take a much deeper cut of the um, of the grindhouse genre. That's a good way to which, put it. It's a deep cut yeah, kind of it, exploitation movie. It, he's saying like, oh, you know, we, we've all seen these movies that are like unnecessarily talky and they're sort of strange and heady. And then mm. there's this great action sequence, which is clearly what their intent was to begin with. But they couldn't afford to do <laughs> and they all just had of to it. pad out yeah, 60 uh, minutes yeah. of something like, else. Isn't yeah. that the kind of thing that we all like when we go to the old grindhouse films? And everyone's like, no, no, no Quinn, no. sorry, that's actually the kind of film that sucks. And he's like, no, no, no I'm gonna make one of those because yeah. that proves that I know more than everybody else does about grindhouse films. I wonder if that's what happened. I w- not necessarily that calculatingly, but I wonder if what he associates with. And and then he you know he'll dilute it and put it into Pulp Fiction or Kill Bill or something like that. Yeah, but, I think, but when he yeah. when he's talking about this kind of genre, what he's thinking of, if he makes the entire movie that way, it's not slice of pop culture, yeah. Pulp Fiction kind of thing. It's a boring movie, man. It's you're doing. I know you like them, but they're boring movies. Well, it plays to his strengths. It's like you know, can I do an entire hour of people sitting at a table having a dialogue scene? Oh boy, can I? You know, <laughs> it's like who but Tarantino would like. I I wish I could do a whole movie like that. You know, it's like okay, I'll do a car chase scene. It's you know just for something. But we uh, keep tickling at the balls of the listeners' expectations for the Inglorious Bastards commentary. Mm-hmm. But that's that conversation is coming up. Um, is it now? Uh, <laughs> I, gotta do it I guess point. I better watch that movie at some point. Don't. 
Yeah, I think Tarantino. Actually, <laughs> don't. I was going to say, don't. Don't. I think Tarantino's don't. strength. Is that the Edgar Wright one? Yeah. yeah. That is actually, Edgar... no, no, it's uh, Will Arnett, I think, that's oh, okay. the actual voice saying, don't. But, I mean, but that, was that the but Edgar, Edgar Wright trailer? Movie, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, Carry on. Is that the one where the stripper's j- jumping on a trampoline and then she falls on a knife? Yeah. That, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I think yeah, that yeah. was it, yeah. Okay. Trey, <laughs> say, I'm, uh, say I'm Harvey Weinstein and uh, you are Tarantino Giz. And you come in and you want to pitch me on this project. How do you get me to say, here's 10 mil? I don't think it's going to work. But Hi. Robert's made you 100 million. I've made you 100 million. We only need 20 to make a thing. Cha-ching. Okay. So you don't think it was, uh, this will be a lot of fun. This will be, a, people well, of course they have to pitch it as what it is. But, you know, yeah, it's, it's I'm, I'm sure they, do, do they there's really? nothing. I just wonder do, if Quentin is Tarantino there, is, set out to make something if fun. If Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez, or either individually or collectively, come in and say, we'd like to make a movie, does anyone go like, no, no, Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's not the Weinsteins. Um, and, it's actually not the Weinsteins. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, because the Weinsteins go, you know, well, you know. Thanks for the house, guys. Uh, it's lovely, uh, that house you bought me. So, you know, it's – it's yes, I'm sure there was a conversation. But, I mean, what are you asking, though? Are you asking, like, with the Weinsteins, like, ooh, that's too over the top well, for us? What I, what I'm, what <laughs> you I'm don't know the Weinsteins about, very well. What I'm curious about is the, the possibility that perhaps Tarantino at one point was trying to get someone on board for it and said, I know this is weird and I know no one's ever done this. And I, I know it's probably not a – not got a great shot at working, but I just want to have this really fun double feature kind of project. At what, if at any point he used the word fun, and then if he thought Death Proof was that, and he thought that this would work paired up with Planet Terror, that kind of thing, where I don't know if he said we would have said fun. You know, I think you know it's like we, when, we could all we could all imagine since we've all seen the interviews, we could all imagine what a Tarantino pitch is like. It's probably <laughs> just this this word salad that just comes flying at you that you just want to write a check just so he'll stop talking. Oh, nope, here, here, Get the fuck out of my office. Fine, here's my here's my bank card. Just go down to the corner to the ATM and make your goddamn movie. If you just get out of my freaking office, um, yeah, Tarantino comes in, he talks. I don't know what the fuck he's saying. Um, but I'm also assuming that Tarantino, you know is like any other filmmaker, and no matter how far his head is up his own ass, he still puts together a pitch that hits exactly the right buzzwords, that still, like, his pitch for Grindhouse was mm-hmm. this nostalgia, this recognizability, this, that, and the other thing, and it, it had nothing cheap, to do with cheap, the movie cheap. he was going to make. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Be very cheap. I got a lot of very famous actors who owe me some favors. are going to put this and this and this together. I got this hot stunt girl from Australia that no one's seen yet. She wants to be involved in the film. And then they're like, so is it going to be fun and watchable? He's like, come on, boys, Bobby, it's me, <laughs> Quentin. It's, it's me. Did you yeah. see? Kill Bill. Kill Bill was great. Yeah, some and, of it. Yes. And, well, that's, and well, that's so, the thing. I think. I. I think a thing like Kill Bill plays to uh, Tarantino's strength is is uh, Kill Bill in the sense that it's it's uh, he gets he can take this from this genre and that from that genre and kind of mix them all together and make this this soup this soup of of, of elements from all across the cinema. And and that's that's a big part of why Tarantino works is he can kind of do this mix and match and put them together in interesting ways and make interesting juxtapositions. The one of the failures of Death Proof is that he was focusing on only one one <laughs> genre, so he he couldn't he couldn't cut to the samurai movie when when the Grindhouse movie got boring. He yeah. he had to stay in the Grindhouse movie. I think I think if I could retroactively figure out the 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 crux of the pitch for this is is this is just Tarantino going okay. They love everything that we do so far. We'll just take it to the next level. We will literally do right. the things that have been our inspiration up until this point. We'll literally make those kind of movies. We'll make the for a new generation, and we'll make it for a new generation. And and again, you can't 
say they didn't do that because right. they sure as hell did. And you they, can't say it hasn't worked before because as Teague and I were discussing last night. Here we go. Do it. I love this. I love this conversation. <laughs> oh, we were watching, all is set up for whatever is about to happen. We were now. watching, and you, you brought it into perfectly. You brought it right into port. Um, we were watching this movie, and uh, we got about 45, 50 minutes in, and I paused it. And I said, okay, I have this question. I need to talk it out. We're going to do this now. And we talked for like 20 minutes about this. What? Okay, here's it's a two-part question, and you kind of have the answer in mind for part one to get to part two. Define the difference between a planet terror and a galaxy quest, or a Shaun of the Dead. What's the difference between that and planet terror? Because they are there's a distinct difference in tone. What is that? And then, can you think of any other movie that's done that? And it took us 20 minutes to, yeah. get, to, to get to the... To where, okay. first, well, first we, def- we figured out the difference between something like this and something like Shaun of the Dead. Brian, where, what's the difference between this and Galaxy Quest or Shaun of the Dead? Well, Shaun of the Dead and Galaxy Quest are both taking those, con- those genres, those movies from those genres, and deconstructing and you know deconstructing the tropes from them and going... Lovingly. Here's, yeah, in a, yeah, in a not a derogatory way, but they're, they're still taking the tropes of those genres and going, this is what this actually means. And much like in, in Kick-Ass... Uh, Watchmen. Where Watchmen is the is the other big example. Like, if this were really real, if this were actually real life, this is how this would actually play out. And this thing that you love from that genre, when that character does that, that's what that actually means. That's a deconstruction deconstructing of those tropes. And that's what movies like Watchmen and and Galaxy Quest and Shaun of the Dead are doing, as opposed to uh, something like Planet of the Terror, which is not really taking these classic tropes and going, "This is what it actually means." It's just taking those tropes and and doing those and tropes, using them, yeah, and using them straight, playing them straight. We're trying to figure out. Okay. That being said, what else is like that? And we came up with a bunch of examples, and we oh, just kind of struck them out. Under, there's a this scene here where um, El Rey and Cherry Darling have a relationship previous to this movie is one of my favorite Grindhouse tropes, which is what I oh, when I was young, you always used to find, you always used to imagine there was a prequel to this film you hadn't seen, <laughs> right? Because they used to do all kinds of referencing before the movie even took place, mm-hmm. like that was okay and not explaining it. And they just did that there. They're just like, oh, you'll always be Paloma to me. And, he, you know, mm-hmm. and, he's, and he's talking about how they were together for two weeks. And you're like, what? Okay. Yeah. It can be uh, used to your advantage in some cases. Where it's, it's, it, it, it's a it shorthand. It's just, yeah. it's just, you know, again, it's like we want to get to it, but we want to say – because we want to have them, like, have, a, you know, have sex later and all that kind of stuff. So just shorthand. Like, yeah, he just happened to walk into this bar, and she's, like, freaking sitting right there. It's like, oh, hey, you're that girl that I've always been in love with on this night when the apocalypse is happening. Well, we yeah. should happen to meet. It's the whole yeah. Casablanca thing. Out of all the, out of all the bars. And all, yeah. all the gin joints in all the world, yeah. and all the towns in all the world. She had to walk in. I think mind. one of the weird little trivial bits here is, uh, you know, of course, Josh Brolin there, you know, Oscar yeah. nominee. Um, this other Owning fella, it. this other fella is, um, oh. this other fella is actually uh, a real doctor. I think uh, he's actually Rodriguez's uh, doctor. Yeah. yeah, and these are real medical photos. Sadly, oh. and, and I think this is. The, I did not need to know. Yeah. Story, yeah. Hello, Brian. This, this oh. I'm eating pizza Rodriguez. right now. Like the, his doctor is like into telling him about horrible diseases, and he's like, "Oh my God, I'm gonna write a role for you in this thing." <laughs> And apparently the guy that runs the strip club is his real estate agent. Something like that, yeah. His real real estate He's a strip club. Yeah, but that's how he is. Again, but that's that's such a great – that, too, is very grindhouse. Is like, you know, non-actors. You're just like, yeah, you do it. You know, and, then, and clearly the guy is – he does okay, but clearly he's not really an actor. Yeah. But that's – the movie's okay with that because that's what the movie is. We're coming back to it, chat room. They want to know what the end of the story is, what the point is, where we came to. Oh, sorry. All right, ahead. so here's where it is. So here's where we're at with this. We know that it's not uh, Galaxy Quest, Shaun of the Dead, Watchmen. Uh, well, it's basically just a director trying an old genre with whatever new knowledge he has. He'll take those 30 years just for granted and use them, but he's trying an old genre that he knows that he used to love and people used to love and introducing it to an entirely new generation and hoping for the best. Star Wars. 
And? Raiders of the Lost Ark. Bum. Planet Terror's closest cinematic analog <laughs> is Star Wars and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Okay. I would say Raiders of the Lost Ark more than more Star Wars. Than Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what yeah. we came but to. Yeah, yeah, that's but fair. Yeah. That's totally fair. Which is so fucking weird because it was like 20 minutes of conversation. Like, there's got to we're, <laughs> we're overlooking something Who obvious. does that? Yeah. So, sure. We, Lucas and Spielberg. We both know that's happened before in, in cinema history, but where? What dark, forgotten corner of cinema history has that happened? Star Wars. Oh, right. That was kind of big, wasn't it? It's pretty underground. You wouldn't have forgot about that movie. Yeah. <laughs> I've tried. See, I've tried. Someday they're going to release it on Blu-ray, and then the kids will finally discover it. I, I feel like there's been some lesser-known experiments with those genres, though. There have. I'm just. I'm trying oh, yeah. to think of what yeah. other examples. That was the conversation but, we had last yeah. night. We started yeah. by going through. Uh, okay, what are forgotten genres? Pirate movies. No, those came back. Um, westerns. Old westerns. Uh, and you, you know, they they kind of went out of style, but they've been around. Um, uh, Cowboys and Aliens might have been this, but it wasn't. All right, um, have you seen the movie Split Second with Rutger Hauer? No. Split Second is basically like an old-school detective story as played out in flooded modern London with the devil as the antagonist, and it's somehow a sci-fi. Wow. I want to watch that right now. It's actually set <laughs> can, in 2008, can we stop this? And, and, uh, and in 2008, London is under like five feet of water, so everyone's like trudging through the streets in water. What year was and it made? What's, uh, I forget when it was, like in the early 90s, I believe. Wow. And it was, uh, and Rutger Hauer plays a grizzled detective who has met the devil once before, and as a result, must survive on chocolate, caffeine, and uh, and cigarettes because he never sleeps. That's my excuse too. Doctor yeah. Submarine, uh, I'm sorry, Ida. No, go ahead. Uh, points out uh, Super Eight, maybe. Kind of, well, yeah. yeah weirdly sure, enough, yeah. yeah they, that uh, trying to do Spielberg. Hey, yeah, yeah. Know. And then uh, another or one. Or Cloverfield trying to do Godzilla. What, what about what about um, what about Chinatown? Yeah. Um. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah we give it uh, yeah. that. Clearly, yeah, Chinatown. Chinatown could easily have been black and white and starring Humphrey Bogart. You know, yeah. it's a little darker than a ho- than a for the period. So it's, it's, I w- it's yeah. I would know. I would actually put Chinatown somewhere in the middle between yeah. like Planet Terror slash Raiders of the Lost Ark and Galaxy Quest slash Planet. Would it be it's, in that middle area we, we discussed last night? As Ed Wood would be in that area too. I, I don't. I still don't no. see how you're putting Ed Wood into that category at all. No, Ed Wood. No, no, no. I'm saying Ed Wood's in a third category. Is Chinatown in that category? Or no, I don't think so. I think if you're if you're looking at like. Planet Terror and uh, you know Galaxy Quest as a spectrum from doing a doing an established genre but playing the tropes straight to you know deconstructing them. If you mm-hmm. look at that as a as a as a spectrum, Chinatown is somewhere in the middle between Planet Terror and Chinatown. Yeah, Ted. I mean again, Cloverfield doesn't belong in the category because Cloverfield isn't a Godzilla movie. You know, a Godzilla you know, Cloverfield would be Cloverfield is using Godzilla tropes. But making a modern movie out of them, and using modern tropes, okay, yeah. and, you know, so again, it's sort of taking an element, but but not really recreating a Godzilla movie. I mean, a modern Godzilla movie would be a guy in a rubber suit stomping toy towns, and someone trying to make it legitimately do that. Um, which I think someone totally should do that. Well, yeah, I, mean, I would like, love to be that the, guy. Thankfully, Japan is still doing that. I mean, there's, there's, they still there's, do it exactly. There are current Godzilla movies that use the existing and, gr- yeah. suit technology, and totally unironically too. Um, I, one of the things that they pointed out, I just uh, I like it too because it's so it's so typical. You know, the sign the saying sign that says generic m- military base. You know, <laughs> again, it's just like it has has no name or anything like that. It's just the military base is is on the way over there. Now, part of the criteria of that question, which I thought was a really interesting conversation last night um i don't know like if it's, it. i don't know if it's still interesting now but one of the criteria is you're bringing back a semi-dead genre uh which is why i i'm, I'm hesitant to put unforgiven on that list because westerns never really went away when away. Oh, they totally did yeah they did 
So yeah. unforgettable. They're still yeah. gone. Yeah. Well, we just had True Grit and Cowboys and Aliens in the last. True year. Grit. Yeah. True Grit is the exception that proves the rule. Cowboys and Aliens tanked. No, but, but Did you notice? Unforgiven was the was the and restart of that genre. Yeah. Wasn't well, like, it, except before it that, didn't. There was like twenty years of. Except it nothing. didn't restart. Well, you know, every there's one there's one western that does okay like every five years, but it doesn't restart like everyone's making a western now because right. you know the studios know. I mean, they were leery of Cowboys and Aliens. They're like, well, it's got aliens, maybe. But uh, you know now there's still now the conventional wisdom is see even with aliens kids don't want the cowboys it's it's uh, like it's like put Harrison Ford in it they still don't show up it's like musicals there's a musical every now and then that doesn't yeah. mean music, yeah, musicals, musicals don't become the new thing around. you know in the way that you know westerns used to be all that studios made for you know in the fifties and, and sixties and that used to be all that was on television there were ten western shows on television um, yeah Unforgiven is Unforgiven is interesting because it it, it really does and and uh, have we? Have we? Have I been successful in my campaign to get everyone to see Unforgiven? Who's got my copy now? Uh, I don't think I have. <laughs> I think Dorkman still has it. I was going to ask him if he's watched it because Unforgiven you know, is really, really super. Unforgiven good. is really awesome, and I, I really want to do it on Down in Front because it's it's a western for like if you don't think you like westerns and you may legitimately not, you might like Unforgiven because it's the anti western. It takes every trope and it's a trope fest as well. It takes every trope and flips it. And and does the it, opposite it does, with it. It does the Shaun of the Dead. Not as a comedy, but it does the Shaun of the Dead Galaxy Quest thing yeah. or the Watchmen thing. It plays it's, it, the, it's the Watchmen of the Western. Here's the genre, uh, but we're going to do everything another differently. Another effective Western is 310 to Yuma. 310 to Yuma actually is great. Yeah. Uh, it really, and again, nobody went to see it. Not a single person. Not only that, and this is where the information comes from, just uh, you know, going way off the field, but um, I saw, uh, we watched 310 to Yuma recently. Um, it was directed by um, James Mangold who had just directed Walk the Line, which was nominated or won every frickin' Oscar. It starred Russell Crowe and, and uh, Batman. What the fuck is Christian that? Bale. Christian Bale. They were attached. So, Oscar guy coming off an Oscar-winning project with both Russell Crowe and two Oscar-winner, Oscar you know, powerhouse yeah. leading man actors attached to do the movie. He could not get a studio to finance thing because it was a Western. They would not touch it. And so they, they finally went for it for like $40 million. He got $40 million to make that movie. Um, and what do you know? Didn't do well at the box office. Yeah. But great movie. Exceptionally effective. Really great movie. Really I mean, no, so the point is it's not, not that it's a bad movie or that Westerns don't work. It's just there's a weird disconnect where no one wants to see those right now in, their, in our society, where it used to be like oh, it's all we had. Now, time, but uh, 310 to Yuma, the, absolutely worth a there's, watch. There's great also uh, Open Range, which, which didn't do well at all. Which was my, my cousin, my, you know, my like 60, 70-year-old cousins were like, you have to – I was – a few years ago, I was at their place um, visiting them. And like you, we have to watch this movie. You're a filmmaker. You're a film guy. You'll sit down and have to watch this movie. And it was like, yeah, this is a great movie. I thought it was like from the early '90s or something, but it was. It's fairly recent. But there's a huge number of really recognizable people in it, and I had never heard of it Isn't at it all. Kevin Costner and it's uh, like Kevin Costner, Robert Duvall. Yeah, uh, it was a big it's movie. It's a huge cast. It's one of those movies that you know you have to get a cast like that to get it made in the first place. Yeah, and and which was Robert Duvall. He was you know, you know he, he still doesn't he, do well. Had to campaign long I mean, and hard to get that movie made. We know about Kevin Costner because he made a western that won every award there was and was the biggest movie of the year. So now to take this hey, conversation, look at Tom Savini and Michael Bean to take this conversation movie at the same time and bring it back to Planet Terror. Do you think if we can categorize the lack of box office as a problem, do you think the problem is that people just didn't care about the grindhouse genre? Well, the problem is probably the the, the unfortunate reason that so many. Um, remakes are made today which the people simply didn't know it and didn't want to spend money on it yeah. and it re the, the reason so many things are remade is because it gives you a touchstone to understand the basic concept of what's going on right people are already have a certain amount of uh brain space allotted to this concept that you're trying to, to sell them mm -hmm. 
They also, well, another thing is, and this, if anything, the Weinsteins went, really? It's because they were like, you know, and I would have, two movies, you know we're going to make less money that way. Because we're only going to get four screenings a day out of it. It's three hours, got three goddamn, you know, three and a half goddamn hours long. So, so that's that was right there. You know, just just the sheer math of how long this is is one of the reasons why it couldn't. You know, it was guaranteed to not make as much money as it would have if it was two money, two movies, or potentially because you're only going to get four screenings a day out of a four hour thing. Um, I and think, only one ticket price per person I, out that, of it. That's the point. Yeah. But I think the the issue is that uh, you know that. Uh, People are probably not accustomed to sitting in the theater for four hours. It's not, you know, double features no longer exist. That, too, is something that's that's long gone from our society. I mean, we're already at a point where, you know, and, and uh, someone just brought this up the other day, but uh, other people have had it, too, that, you know, people, kids don't even, like, want to look at a black and white movie. They just go, eh, 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 no, mm-hmm. you know, and you go, no, this is great, you know, no, ew, why, bad, no. Um, in the same way that, as we've said before, like, you know, later they're going to go, I don't want to watch that Star Wars movie. It's not even in 3D. Screw it. You know, it's like, which is what George is making in 3D. But um, yes, so it's all these things. I mean, again, I don't think anyone with a lick of sense connected with this project ever thought it would, you know, be a blockbuster. This is literally just a vanity project where it's like, you know, okay, but then you're going to do the Nazi movie, right, Quentin? Yeah, all right. That'll you've be been the promi- <laughs> You've been promising us that Nazi movie. That'll be movie the next one. You know, I was like, yeah. this is the, you know, this, this And is- Rob, you're going to do Spy Kids 7? Yeah. Right? You promise? Right, right. Okay. All right, then. All right. How much? $40 million? Okay. All right, all right. All right fine. Um, you know, it's absolutely that. This movie is the vanity project for both those guys, and- God bless them that they get to the point where they can they get to do it. You do know, it, yeah. that's that's hey, we should all be so lucky. Now uh, we missed the introduction there, but we just got a. Uh... How's it going, Seth? <laughs> With your ratchet operator reclining chair, um, we just got to the point where uh, Michael Bean and Tom Savini walked in at the same moment. <laughs> yeah, which is one of those things. Oh, I never saw that coming. That's amazing. Which, by the way, go to Tom Savini's IMDb page and look at the photo, like the default photo of him. That guy is fucking ripped. Yeah. Hey, Trey, who's Tom Savini? Tom Savini is one of the great... Um, he started in the exploitation... Look uh, at that. Holy shit. Yeah. yeah. I would yeah, never yeah. would have guessed Tom Savini Tom had Savini. that much. Because uh, he, he does stunts as well as makeup. But he, he, he started out with George Romero. Um, and Romero and other sort of underground uh, you know, filmmakers... Um, in that crowd, he did a bunch of movies that weren't all Romero movies, but he did uh, not the original Night of the Living Dead. I think that was a little before his time, but uh, he was the main makeup guy for, for for Dawn of the Dead, the original Romero Dawn of the Dead. Um, and then he did movies like Creep Show and things like that. And he was one of the very first, um, in addition to Dick Smith, um, who was very forthcoming about, yes, I'm a makeup artist and here's how I do my stuff. He wrote a book that I had that was a, a Bible for me early on, long before I got into the creature business, about how he did movies. And, you know, here's how he did this effect. And it was a retrospective of all the low-budget movies he'd done up to that point. How he did the explosion heads, you know, how the exploding heads in Dawn of the Dead, and how he did the blood effects and all that kind of stuff. And so it was a real, he wrote these how-to books. And so he became very much beloved by, by that, that, that level of geek, of which I, you know, was one. And uh, and just became very recognizable because he would also act in the movies, and he's obviously a very distinctive looking guy. He always looked like that, so you, always, you can always spot him. Best known to the uh, less in the know people as Sex Machine from from Dust Till Dawn. Dust Till Dawn, which there that already was. Oh my God, look, that's Tom Savini. You know, getting to have fun and be Tom Savini in a movie. 
Wasn't he on screen in Dawn of the Dead? Here's Michael Parks. Yeah. Michael Parks. Who is Michael Parks. my absolute favorite actor. We remember from time. Kill Bill playing two roles in Kill Bill. And who's no it? way! And, yeah. Um, yep. and, and, and is in uh, Red State, a Kevin Smith yep. movie, and does a really and amazing he, he, performance. He's playing, this is the joke, he's, this is the same guy, essentially, from Kill Bill. Right? Yeah. It's the same sheriff. Um, so there's a shared universe going on connected by this guy. Is from Dawn 3? Which is an unbelievably good movie, considering. No kidding. Uh, from Dustin on Three, I highly recommend. It's fantastic, and he plays Ambrose Bierce, because you know historically wow. the author disappeared uh, into Mexico. Yeah, so that's in, awesome. Uh, in From Dustin on Three, we find out where he met his end or how. I've got to check that out. Definitely though. check it out. And, and uh, yeah, Michael Parks is definitely the best discovered, very old actor in the past yeah. hundred years. Well, he's been, you know, he 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 himself. He's also a reference because he did a lot of those grindhouse movies. You know, he did a lot of those. You know, drive. He was always like, the, the, I was associating with the, you know, the outlaw in the fast car, and he's got a Chevy Impala. We'll never catch him. Oh no, uh, those kind of movies are the names that I associate him with. So there was another. Uh, someone else was. There was some other point we were we were talking about there. Uh, Tom Savini. Tom Why? Savini and and uh, whatever else. But you know, Michael Bean. Like, oh my God, Michael Bean. Of course, Jeff Fahey was also on Lost at this point. I think he was or just about They're to just be. Just about on Lost. to be. Yeah. Yeah. So this is where the movie is like, you know, just this crazy over the top with total disregard for any kind of reality. Also, how did they <laughs> Which, get her into a small gray mini dress at this yeah, point? I don't care as long as they do it. As long as they do it, I'm fine with it. Uh, is it uh, it's it's issued at the hospital. I wanted to bring up a little bit ago where you know he finds her and her legs been pulled off a lot of times movies deal with this thing where they, they basically just for purposes of convenience they cut forward which is how does he manage to get her back to the truck and then get the truck working and then get to the hospital that really would have been very difficult let's just cut to him getting her to the hospital <laughs> and yeah. that i mean like and you think it's kind of a grindhousey thing but in reality it's it's just sort of like a lot of movies do that because the, the simple practicality of the scene would have been impossible to shoot mm-hmm. brian would, uh, are you you got more you got more yeah, no. no, go ahead. Oh, I thought you were going to go on like a Michael Bean story about how you guys like I've got never drunk met, one night. I've never met Michael Bean. Someday. On the Hollywood sign. Carry like on. Oh, well, that, but yeah, but that doesn't count. Is Michael right. Bean in, in the abyss? Oh, yeah. Where? He's the water monster. <laughs> he's oh. he's the bad guy in the abyss. Is he? All right. He's the guy who has, he gets, he's the head of the seals who has high pressure nervous syndrome and goes crazy and oh, tries right, to kill right, everybody. Right. Okay. Brian, would you categorize this as a fun movie? Yeah, I would categorize this as a fun movie, yeah. Did you see it in theaters? Yeah, I did, yes. Did you have a good crowd? Yeah. I had, like, the best so. possible crowd. I had guys that were in their late 30s with mohawks and leather jackets. I was like, oh, you're, you're committing to this thing but, that you do. Okay, then you're probably the right guy. <laughs> and there was a, it was just the most energy, most energy. It was the most energetic crowd I've ever been with in a theater, even including, like, Phantom Menace at midnight. That was in Orlando, right? That was in Orlando. Because I, I remember, I don't know why, but I remember I saw this in New Jersey. For whatever reason, I was up in New Jersey when this came out. And I remember seeing it with my with my buddy from high school. He's also very movie savvy. I don't remember our crowd being all that great, though. Maybe that's just the Philistines of of Southern New Jersey, though. I don't know. Nice effect here. Ooh, yeah. very, very very beautiful. Um, now, it, and again, the, the movie. What I think is so great about the movie, this you know, where as you were talking about earlier, there's a difference between using the tropes of a movie to actually literally trying to make that kind of movie that doesn't get made anymore, whatever genre that is. And I, I, I really think Rodriguez and, Rodriguez and Tarantino both nailed it, as we've said. It's just that Tarantino chose to make a really bad movie, um, and he did it really well. But, um, but this movie, like I said, captures that crazy randomness. This is the first script, this whoever, this, you know, a real grindhouse, you know, I just wrote a thing, and it's got monsters, and then there's a thing, and explosions, and something about gas, and it makes you a thing, and whatever. Um, it's just an excuse to put these scenes on film. That there's this bizarro subplot with 
James Brolin and his <laughs> wife, who's having a lesbian affair with a girl who just shows up in time to get eaten, and that it's just like these random plot threads that just don't actually go anywhere, but uh, you know serve as you know titillation. Again, it's exploitation. Like, oh, uh, gay gay women, wee whoo, you know, sweet. Let's get that in there. Um, you know, all these things, go-go dancing, just because we can get a go-go dancing scene in, fine, you know, and put the girl that will open with that. Has nothing to do with the rest of the movie, but hey, we'll have a hot yeah. girl right in the opening credit. There, there's nothing thematically tying these different yeah, elements no, together. Exactly. It's, 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 it's pure just, exploitation. Yeah. It's like every kind of exploitation thrown thrown to, thrown into a blender. This is a perfect example here of, a, of a, something that I see in a lot of films, be they genre or not, which is where two people are in the middle of some major apocalyptic crisis and really can't get over their own bullshit. Yeah, yeah. It's also, well, that's, a, that's a good old staple of any apocalypse or, or zombie movie. because they use the apocalypse to you know, come back together. Yeah, It's also a bizarre... It feels like a weird disconnect that they do... He, you know, she's got a cell phone. So, yeah. so this movie's like, you know, it's not... It feels like it should be a period piece, but it's not. It's, it's totally not. meant to be a modern-day thing, and yet it has this weird, you know, 70s look to it and feel to it. Now, this, I have to say, is is a fantastic shtick. That, and I love this actress, who I don't I haven't seen in many other things, but I think she's so great in this movie. Um, this idea that this woman spends most of the rest of the movie unable to use her hands, and they, they, they pay off that premise in like yeah. 50 different ways that are just brilliant. Where yeah. It's like her hands are numb, and she can't do anything with her hands, and yet she has to do all this stuff. I just love the ever-loving shit out of this movie. Yeah. And it's not the kind of movie I want to see two of, really. I mean, if there was a Grindhouse franchise and I got to see the new one in three years, I would because I had so much fun with it the first time. But I'm glad that if it was going to be done once, uh, intentionally bad with the massively overindulgent but pretty accurate film grading, I, I'm glad that he he did this and he went this far with it and he had this much fun with it. And it's so retardedly saturated and the, the every time someone gets shot, it's basically their body exploding and that kind of thing is so much fun uh, that I'm in a weird place. I love I love it so much. I don't want to see it. This is weird. I don't want to see it ruined. I don't want to see someone not do it as well. Now that said, I do wonder if you could just. And this isn't a filter. They actually went out of their way to do this almost completely, like mathematically accurate with all the grading and all the, the strips of overexposure and the scratches and all those things. I do wonder if you could take that, we'll say effect, even though it's many effects, that effect and just lay it over G.I. Joe, if G.I. Joe has that quality <laughs> to it. Or something, or even, God bless me, Sucker Punch or something. If, if, that, if that adds, if, if, you, if you say I'm trying to do bad after you've done bad on accident, does that make the <laughs> bad better? You know what I mean? Like, well, I don't know because obviously the original the original Grindhouse guys weren't making bad on purpose. They just were making movies, and that's the movies they made. I don't know. It's... I'm talking about like if you slap this on GI Joe, would you liked it more? Where it's like, oh, that fucking thing with the voice that's stupid, yay, as opposed to that's stupid. Yeah, but you could still see mm. the tremendous waste of hundreds of millions of dollars of visual effects and, and sets and things going on in G.I. Joe. It, it doesn't have that charm of, oh, I see, they didn't have any money. You yeah, know, they just did this. These guys thing. were just in a garage in Tennessee and they did the best with the 20 bucks they had. Yeah, that's it's it's a corporate versus non corporate distinction. I mean, it's just. It would help, though. The G.I. Joe has this, like, corporate soullessness. It is. working on you a little bit, isn't it? Yeah, it it would help. I think it would actually help. I don't think it would take it all the way to the level of, oh, now I like this movie because I realize how stupid it is. Um, Because it just still would have too much production value of the images, no matter how much you degraded them. But if you did kind of, I mean, 
every line that uh, you know um, the uh, characters say, virtually any of the characters say, would have worked better with lots of grain and scratches over it. <laughs> you know, suddenly it's like, oh, okay, I get it. Yeah, all right. I think uh, G.I. Joe would probably have been a lot better if there were missing reels throughout it. That's well. true. <laughs> if any movie could use a missing reel. Yeah. Of all the movies, why doesn't Death Proof have a goddamn missing reel? Please, for the love of God. Because <laughs> then you would have the joke. It's like... The girls are sitting at the diner table talking, real missing. They're still at the diner table talking. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You see, you make the joke, but you didn't make us sit through the goddamn thing. That would have been that would have been a great way to go. This uh, there's just something very atmospheric about this scene in, in comparison to the rest of the film. It's like the only part I really get scared somehow where you just get like on the edge of your seat because you know that there's a monster out there and it's going to jump out at any second. It's really the only time it ever really grabs you. It's also exceptionally well acted by Tom Savini, which is amazing. Yeah, I love it. Just his whole behavior. He's he's not really in pain. He's just pissed off. Yeah, mm-hmm. ate my finger. Now, Sax. All that being said, there are moments for this where it goes over the top for you. Do you oh, think? Yeah, you, do you think it breaks the joke, or do you think it's just too much of a joke? Uh, I think it's. I think that there are definitely aspects to the, this that where I feel like it's g- deliberately gotten too uh, self-aware. Yeah, maybe that's a good point. Too, or, uh, or, too affected. Yeah, or someone, or someone was basically said like, "How far can we take it?" And again, we're going to see the the evil babysitter twins in just a few seconds, and I, I definitely think that's a good example of it going like, "Really, really, you decided to do that?" And then there's the two rapists at the very end that like, as they start to fall apart, continue to rape, and you're like, "Okay." See, that just strikes me as honest. That just strikes me as I don't that's know. How uh, those you you, would you be. mean finally a realistic portrayal of rapists as they would continue to rape <laughs> even if they mutated into pieces with, with well, a with honest, a table leg the through their eye? Yeah. But it, I don't think it was. I, I think I think in the genre they often didn't have the, you know, oh yeah, that ain't gonna work. Uh, they didn't have the uh, the ability to do that, and they wouldn't have done that. Oh, the gun punch, by the way, by far, <laughs> That's brilliant. I hope I kind of hope in my head that Savina brought that with him. He's like, I have this cool idea yeah. for an effect. I've, I've wanted always to do this wanted for years. years. Yeah, yeah, never had the chance. I also think the editing gets a little affected. At least beyond where I where oh. I'm okay with it, it wow. is particularly in this sequence where it's just like these kind of like jumps where the film is not running through the projector quite right. Well, the, the, here's the yeah the and reason I, for it, the idea, the thinking behind it, and and again Rodriguez used it as a as a as an excuse to also be able to crank it up. Is those are the parts where the projectionist would run it back and, and watch the scene again. So those uh. are going to be the most worn out parts of the movie. Is the really cool stuff where there was the really great action that would be the most worn. Because they actually would, you know, someone would have deliberately looked at that section more often. All right. The uh, Zarban has a great trope. Uh, It's called Refuge in Audacity. Characters in a movie can get away with outrageous acts by making them more overblown to the point of absurdity. And toning them down would be more offensive. And it's funny because the the example, I don't think it's listed, I didn't look, but the example that comes to mind is the joke from Studio 60 where they wanted to do a a skish called Tarantino Thanksgiving and they had this turkey that was going to just explode with blood, but they did it and the prop guy wasn't Union or something, like it was there on strike. He was a replacement The guy guy who did it just kind of, he's like, that's not realistic at all. And he had just sort of this turkey that was still kind of alive, oozing with blood. And they're like, the joke is Tarantino Thanksgiving. If he's just oozing with blood, it's disturbing. Like, that's that's so wrong. If it was more funny, it would be more funny. But if it's not, it's just... Which is really more of a reference, pretty kind of a reference to the the classic Dan Aykroyd Julia Child sketch, which is still remembered to this day. And surely it's on Hulu, where you know, she's, and everyone's giving me a blank look, like you don't fucking know what I'm talking about. 
God, you sad kids today. Um, it was it's one. It was the. It was it was when it probably most most likely from the first season of Saturday Night Live, where the show really one of those moments where the show really transcended. Where you're like, oh my God, this is really the most awesome show of all time. Where Dan Aykroyd was doing this horrifying Julia Child impression doing her cooking <laughs> show. <laughs> And he's got Leo. He's doing this terrible drag bit, um, and then he like, oh, I've cut my finger rather badly while he's doing the thing, and then he, his finger just proceeds to spew blood. They have like literally gallons of you know a gallon tube. You know, it's just he's just covering this. He's just, it becomes like a peck and paw movie where he's like, okay, well, it's always important to have a first aid kit. I've got one right over. Uh-huh, I'm feeling a little dizzy right now. It just proceeds to cover the entire set with with blood as he's trying to do with Julia Child doing a cooking show. So that was just so memorable for that same reason. I mean, if his if his finger was just sort of a little blood was coming out, yeah. it would just be kind of gross. If it's, rea- if it's realistic, yeah. then it's, it's like, well, oh, then... that's sad. Yeah, but that's it, sad. The, the but... comedy was that it was so over the top. As long as it's unrealistic, then then the comedy is clear. I guess the question here, though, is my concerns, I feel, are not um, are not in the uh, the over the topness of the effects of the gore. You know, I don't mind that, like, you know, like horrible pustules are thrown around or whatever. It's just that there are just parts where I think the movie is just basically deciding it wants to be funnier in a completely outlandish way. And I feel like the movie could have held a little bit more to the to the tracks of, like, this actual, you know, issue. Yeah. It's hard I, to describe. Almost, it's almost it's, it's, it's kind of hard to say, like, can we be a little more serious about the <laughs> weird mutated zombie apocalypse here, people? Come on, yeah. guys. Can we take this a little more seriously? Yeah. Well, I, th- I think maybe... Maybe what you're saying is, at times, this, for most of the movie, the movie is going, this is what these old movies used to be like. But every now and then, it's kind of winking at you in, uh, from across the, the fourth wall and going, eh, eh, right? Remember? Eh, this? And it, it's, a, it's a fine line and kind of a difficult, uh, difficult territory to know whether you're in it or not. I'm, I'm, I'm impressed by the movie, how, how well it trods that line, because God knows, you know, the movie's can can like wink at you far too much. Right. I don't I don't I never got the sense that this movie is winking at us all that much. It's it's literally you know there's nothing that goes on that other than sometimes the you know the effects are more sophisticated than they would have been capable of just every so often. Um, but yeah, oh. uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just like it just we're watching this poor girl, you know, again, in the midst of all this crazy mayhem, they're getting a great a great sequence out of a woman just trying to get in a car and start it up, you know, which is again great filmmaking to just sort of take this this simple premise of this poor not, not only does this woman have a zombie apocalypse to deal with, but you know she can't use her hands, and it's great. It actually you get legitimately involved in her, like you know, okay, well I hope she's okay. And in this kind of movie, as they do with all the other characters, you never know. There's no rhyme or reason to who's going to be okay and who's yeah. not. Which again is another staple of grindhouse movies, where they you know they'll do anything just for the sake of the shock and the effect. Hell, in the Blob, the lead character dies, and then the new lead character dies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is true. Spoilers. Yeah. Hey. Jeez. There's also a Blob. Yep. Does the Blob die? There is a Blob. No, he's still here. And it pulls oh, hey, a guy Trey. into a sink. Man, that was me. I was bummed that we couldn't Listen call you Trey the titular Blob Stokes anymore. Yeah, that's a shame. It was a fun week. It was yeah. It was a special week. We'll never forget it. We'll always have the memories. So these scenes are a little, you know, a little bigger, but not that much bigger than than a grindhouse movie. Because grindhouse movies would, you know, just go off and go, okay, well, we got this vacant lot and we got a bunch of cars. We can set those on fire. They wouldn't do it particularly safely. <laughs> they would just kind of go, oh, hope no one gets hurt. Let's just do this. 
I have two things to say in quick succession because one of them just happened one's about to. But A, uh, butterfly knives are a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. be sure to practice yeah. with the blade out, mm-hmm. not in. Because if it's in, what happens when you're flipping up a, 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 a balisong or a butterfly knife is that you swap it against the back of your hand, rotate it in your hand and swap it back, and you can catch it so it opens up. But at one point in that action, the blade will hit your hand. Now, you can do it so that the back of the blade hits your hand and it just kind of goes, ow. Or you can chop your finger off. Um, I have accidentally done it the wrong way before, and it sucks. So be careful, all those kids. Now, here's the bit that I love. Yeah. Bam. Why did you do the kick? Yeah. I don't know, but it completely works for me. Yeah, this actor, I, I started laughing like a motherfucker yeah. when that happened last This night. actor, Freddy Rodriguez, is that his name? Yes. Yeah. You know, not, has never done like an action martial arty ever. You know, and he totally nails this. I mean, he really he does a beautiful job in these you know, extended takes. You know, I think he has like maybe a bit of a dance background or something. But uh, you know, he's he's just these these actions, this this badass hero thing. Apparently, every other role he'd ever played to this point is like you would never think. You know, who make a great badass action hero? This guy, and yet he's totally nailing it. Be like casting Paul Dano or something. Yeah, exactly. Which I think wouldn't that be great? I would love would, it. Wouldn't that be? Wouldn't, I would love wouldn't to see you Paul like Dano so, if like you hero. saw Paul Dano in a movie and suddenly he just started to rocket and you were like, <laughs> "What? Uh, I had no idea. I did You're not. Afterbirth. Know, I did not know he could do that. He's totally drinking my milkshake. Crawl out of your mother's filth. I think that that there's something about the heroic characters in Rodriguez films, and, I, and of course the other reference I would make is from Dust Till Dawn, where wait a second, wait a second. When did she change her clothes? He called it out earlier. Oh, that's the continuity no, this problem. Is, this is another one. Though. This is a third outfit we've gotten. Yeah. yeah. And I love the fact that she doesn't have a leg anymore. Well, is now Ryan, destroying you her. You know how these big movies go. They want to get a different toy <laughs> yeah, for everyone. That's the greatest line. That's uh, the, that could be a stand-up comedian. <laughs> they, they, it, then he comes with the great politically incorrect. Well, the best jokes are about cripples. Which is like, <laughs> boom. Nailed it. Anyway, sorry to cut you off. Sarah. No, I'm just saying, like, from his, dust on, there yeah, goes. one of the one of the one of the ways in which Rodriguez has for has always excelled as a director is he somehow creates these action sequences that capture that sort of action figure comic booky style of heroic badassery that you almost never see in anything else. I mean, even Tarantino uh, is not as gifted in terms of just making somebody like flip around like this. And uh, and go uh, and just be awesome in a way that I think every young boy secretly wants to see at least an hour of per month. Now here's where again where I, I really admire Rodriguez because this is you're looking at complicated visual effects. Rose McGowan has two legs, uh, so in the midst of all yeah. this grainy, you know, nasty, messed up, you know, handheld footage, that's it's a gorgeous visual. Effect. It's a beautiful, flawless visual effect going on that they never hide. It yeah. just keeps happening. Yeah, exactly. And Rose McGowan is selling it with her pantomimes. Amazingly, you know, you actually buy that. Like, God damn it, I've got a peg leg here. The way they did that, and it was really interesting. I, I wouldn't have thought of this, but I should have thought of this. If I guess if I was challenged to do it, I would have come here. But what they did was they put her leg in a cast, a full leg cast, so she couldn't bend it. So her hips were dealing yeah, with so she, a completely she would walk static. It. She had to. She basically had given herself a fake prosthetic. She had just made her leg so it couldn't move at all, and it totally worked. Now, two things. Uh, was it about, a green screen, green cast? Yeah, I think they made, they they made a green, and they, they had, like, a, the stick on it, like, sort of a, for, for sort of a reference, as I recall. Yeah, they had a, I had a green one. In that sort of situation, it doesn't help you that much, other than that green is easy to see in the darkness. Like, you wouldn't be able to key it out. They had to actually do it. But they also have one where she's running against an explosion that they had a black one, so it would silhouette well. But here's the thing about Robert Rodriguez. Uh, his spirit, the, uh, the rebel without a crew kind of spirit, is good. It is helpful. It is a force for good filmmaking and uh, inspirational. And I like Robert Rodriguez's personality. 
it's kind of bullshit. Yeah, he, he, um, <laughs> it is. Here's the thing. Uh, I have a buddy who worked on a major Robert Rodriguez visual effects picture about a comic book by Frank Miller. We're not going to say the name of it. But part of the joke was, and by the way, just so you guys know, I'm Mr. Rebel Without a Crew. We did this in my garage. And we just powered our way through it, and we can do whatever we want to with green screens because we just know how to, and you just don't. That doesn't hold up as true. A buddy of mine worked on said unnamed black and white movie starring Bruce Willis, and it has seven letters in its name, and there are two words, and the first one is sin, and the last one is city. Um, because there are moments where, and it's specifically that attitude, the, we, we just know how to use green screens, and we just can. We can just do it because we have this in our garage. His garage is a giant studio, uh, and my buddy who worked on this spent like three months having to rotoscope because Robert Rodriguez didn't light it right. That kind of thing, where saying those things is great. It's really refreshing to hear that attitude. But he's not quite playing up to it behind the scenes, which is kind of disheartening. On the, on the other hand, it, it makes it seem a little bit more realistic. Now, okay, okay, yeah, you say that, but... Well, you can't help but lose perspective once you have the money. I mean, it is his garage. That's exactly right. It, it is, is his garage, just, yeah. just as Skywalker he, Ranch is George Lucas's garage where he makes movies now. Right, exactly. I mean, Troublemaker it's, Studios is, you know, is Rodriguez's place in Austin, Texas, because he, he never wanted to move to Hollywood, and God bless him for that. And uh, And so... You know, I've always wanted to go to Troublemaker Studios because it looks like any, any place where a filmmaker has said, I've got the money, I'm just going to build myself the perfect clubhouse now, yeah. it's going to be a fun place to visit. You yeah. know, it's like you got to check it out. I mean, Skywalker Ranch is an awesome clubhouse where you get a chance to go there. I don't think Troublemaker Studios is quite as big as Skywalker Ranch, but I bet it's kind of a fun place to go and, and, and play. I'm um, able to port over what I liked about him before I knew that to liking him now just by changing, like Trey said, perspective and saying, okay, here's a guy who spent his money making a cool garage where he can film movies all the time. And and in fact does Spy Kids are for his kids the Shark Boy and Lava yeah. Girl that is badass they're written by his kids his kids came his kids came up was, with the, if Trey was a rich family man he'd be yeah. Robert Rodriguez his kids came up with the concept of like superheroes called Shark Boy and Lava Girl and he said okay I'll get I'll get the Weinstein's to pay for that <laughs> now we've got Joe and Zoban troping and there's a great one called Gorn which is a portmanteau one of my favorite words of gore and porn Gorn. It's all. That was gonna. It's the lizard it's from Star Trek. Yeah. I was like, Gorn. Can you make some kind of primitive lathe? <laughs> Get no, off no, the that, line, guys. To, to be fair, that song would not have been involved in the. the that that's the Spock Kirk fight that you're. That's true. That's true. That's true. Yeah. That's the, the Kirk v Gorn fight is a totally different one. That's true. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, Impressively nerdy. Impressive. Yeah. Have you ever been oh, to Vasquez Rocks? Uh, no. Up in that area? Oh. It's just 40 minutes up the road, man. Oh, you can no. go to the place where he fought the Gorn. Nice. Uh, and there's another one that uh, uh, Joe points out, uh, Disabled Hottie. <laughs> which, nice. That's Gorn, all right. Which, the more disabled, the more the, hottie. The hottie. Yeah. Yeah. I've noticed that I get an incredible boner when I see Stephen Hawking. That is a very disabled man. <laughs> Curb Your Enthusiasm did, a, did an episode about that, of, about uh, Larry dating a woman in a wheelchair and kind of getting... You know, getting the points for it, basically, about how, oh, that's great. You know, I was like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, dating a woman in a wheelchair. That's how awesome I am. I'm so enlightened. <laughs> uh, my friend, uh, uh, he wouldn't care. Ian, my friend Ian, uh, dated a deaf girl. When I saw what? the Curb Your Enthusiasm episode where it's like, you know, wheelchair, you, you can still have a meaningful, identical to your previous experience conversation. Ian had to learn ASL to hang out with his awesome, really cool girlfriend. She's like really smart and fun. I think they've broken up, but she's a real cool person to know. You just, she speaks a different language. She can't talk. She has to use her hands and you have to learn that language if you want to be around. And, and, and when you watch someone like dating someone in a wheelchair and kind of lording it over, I fucking feel, yeah. Okay. Whatever. Whatever. 
dating a deaf person would be like dating an alien. Well, you know what they say. <laughs> you have about... to learn an entirely new language and way of yeah. communicating. Well, dating someone from another country is that way. It's it's you know it's uh, or being in another country and then being the alien is even more fun. I recommend it. Um, Frankly, I think dating all girls is like dating an alien. <laughs> but that's just me. <laughs> wah, wah. <laughs> You'll get used. There's to certainly it. a different language involved. Uh, yeah. This is there's an interesting story uh, behind the making of this sequence here because I think this is. I think this son. this is yeah this is Tarantino's Rebel kid Rodriguez. yes Rebel yeah. um, this is Tarantino's actual son Rodriguez and, is actual son yeah Rod- thank you Rodriguez well actually I, that was a Freudian slip I'm not really supposed to tell anyone but uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway no that's not true at all um, but yeah that's that's Re- Rodriguez's son Rebel and um, and he, you know Rodriguez was like well you know this because this is again what movie does this except for the Blob. Um, you know, here's this kid and the mom and the super si- and then he's, the kid's gonna like blow his own brains out. Careful by, yeah. with the gun, Jimmy. by accident. Um, Bam! You know, the, 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 the movie would dare to do that, and uh, you know, the kind of it's it, it was partly like a, a thing. It's like I want you know I want to have the kid in there, but I don't want to have to be in the whole rest of the you know, action finale again. So it's all that, but he he did it so that. Rebel didn't even know that he died in this right. movie. They actually and he, sh- in fact, shows a different version of the yeah, movie they, to Rebel. He, uh, may, Rebel may be up to it now, but, uh, you know, he showed, he showed, you know, they even shot the scene of Rebel, like, and then you are going to, you know, uh, the, where Rebel was, like, suddenly in the helicopter at the end, and he gets <laughs> to go away and, you know, take off with his mom at the end. And, and you know, they and that's, even, the, that's the official Rodriguez cut. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, at, at home, when we're watching this, we watch that one so we yeah. just know that we killed him. If you, and he's in the very end of the movie uh, playing on the beach. Yes. Yeah. Um, they, they had a, him in that. So, yeah. He had, it's like, see, that's a, there's a weird kind of garage band sensibility. It's like, I'm making a feature from the wine scenes, but I have to shoot two versions so my kid doesn't get upset. You know, to be thinking about that is, is really kind of interesting. I wonder what version of Attack of the Clones or Revenge of the Sith George shows his kids. It's just uh, two and a half hours of white noise. <laughs> no, he shows his kids. Not oh. the real one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's like I'm not gonna uh, get. I'll show your kids the crap, but I'm not gonna show it to my kids. Are you kidding me? What was the what was this character's name? The the Mexican cartel version of him in Second Kill Bill? Uh, Esteban Viejo. Esteban. Esteban. Esteban Viejo. Oh God, he's so he's such a great actor. And like, who knew? Yeah. Oh fucking! I just the look. It just every time I look up at the screen, I'm like, oh yeah, fucking yeah. yeah and then is. again, perfect exploitation thing is like, and then what didn't we have yet? Motorcycles and big monster trucks. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's get that in there. Sweet. For no particular reason other than it's cool. Oh. It is. <laughs> and it totally it is. It totally fucking works. It's just a, just a, a, just an excuse to Look just... Look at the cut top on that. That's awesome. You just get a bunch of hot girls <laughs> and hot guys. Girls, fast cars, and big guns. <laughs> fast cars, driving really fast, shooting zombies in the head. What else do you need? A loose cannon young man. With a, hey, he's Jack Sparrow, apparently. Oh. One of the great things they do, we're coming up at some point, fairly soon, I guess, to the to the missing real joke, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and... No, but I'm with you. She was in the wrong film. Yes. Like, <laughs> I would have preferred to see the <laughs> sex scene where yeah. lose. Well, there was a missing yeah. real joke in, in uh, uh, Death Proof, the chat was telling me. It's just, it skips an interesting part. <laughs> <laughs> and then they put it back. Right. So now we have to watch it. So, um, actually, you got to roll out of here in about 10 minutes. Do you have anything summary-wise to say, kind of in general, about Planet Terror? No, I mean, it's a really good film. It's certainly, I mean, the, the you have to approach films like this with, with kid gloves in that it's, uh, it's very tongue-in-cheek. It's very, it's very turning itself on its own head. And um, as a result, I think, um, I think that, you know, how seriously can you take it? I think for what it is, it's fantastic, but it's hard to judge it in many ways. 
Um, now, if if you were a little drunk, would this be a fun movie for you to watch and you'd be able to set that aside and just go, fuck yeah, explosions? No, no, or? I, I mean, I, I, I do watch this movie when I'm drunk. I, I mean, I find this movie to be fun to watch sober. There's nothing really wrong with this film. It's just, there are definitely parts of where I'm just like, okay. And like, and that's that's where a good movie versus a great movie is the change for me. Is is There are movies, and I, I mentioned it, off mic on the last thing you were doing like kiss kiss bang bang that i watch and on top of the fact that i love every minute of it it's mm-hmm. just simply perfect right and i just don't ever have to call anything into question i don't have to look sideways at it i don't have to go like well we like the rest of the movie sacks so just keep watching right. um whereas this is a very different scenario now we talk about like a phantom edit type thing where you know the guy that cut phantom menace to try to make a better version of it, it's called the phantom edit where you take the movie as is and take and just subtract. Could you could you get a movie that you like? Just remove yeah, the bits you like. I mean, like? You, I, I, again, I could just I could see it being a little a little less corny at parts, and I'd be right there. And well, it's not like any of these pieces really vitally rely on any of the other pieces to make sense. <laughs> as the missing real gag shows. Yeah, like, yeah who, who I mean, well, cares okay, what the plot well, it's, was? It's yeah. going to come up after I'm gone, but like the uh, the syringe launcher. Like, oh. okay, why? Now, don't get me wrong. <laughs> Part of me is like, that's awesome, and I have no problem with how awesome that is. But the other part of me is like, okay, come on. Like, and, and it's, hard to, it's hard to look past the fact that that not only comes out of left field, but what, like, wh- at what point did that woman need that previous to this? What is going on? Like, what is the supposed backstory of that? For me, <clears throat> oh, excuse me. For me, it's uh. What does it sound like inside of Brian's mouth? <laughs> <laughs> uh, for me, it's after Tarantino gets the the posts, her wooden leg through his eye, and then he still has like five minutes of screen time after that. And like, okay, and I, I love watching Tarantino. I, I get he's he's <laughs> he, he will like not a, die. He has a face like a fist. <laughs> he has a face like a fist. What? Well, whenever also, whenever yeah. he's on screen, it's just a very indulgent. I'm gonna be on. I'm gonna be fucking me on well, screen. It's, it's gonna be awesome. It's kind of amazing how Tarantino can also be well known for putting too much dialogue in his. You guys films. just keep talking. And I'm just gonna watch this scene. He can actually do too much dialogue in, in, as an actor as well. Yeah. Like he he insisted that they not cut, you know, one one or two more lines out of that sequence and. Uh, uh. <laughs> and that's the only shot of uh, the leg effect that doesn't exactly work for me. I think it's just a discrepancy between the motion blur of the actual shot. And the motion do you, blur love, of the do you love that sequence where it was just clearly? I'm pretty, her I'm pretty sure that's just the leg. <laughs> Why would that have to be a, a, an effect shot? Well, you st- this shot starts on her on the joint. That you would yeah, but the leg is on the far side of her, though. You don't see the connection. It'd be weird if it wasn't real. Like, last night we were watching it, and Brian's like, you know, this machete trailer's great, but that shot of him on the motorcycle and the explosion. It the looks... CG ruins it. And, like, dude, yeah. that's a real shot. They just had, a, like, a, like, a little jib that would just <laughs> slip this motorcycle yeah. forward, and they blew something up. And there, there's the... something off in that shot, then, because there's something in the compositing. Big, big laugh. Yeah. Yeah. See, yeah, that, that, that's the same idea. It's like, that's the scene that would have been watched the most, you know, yeah. and that's why it's so thrashed. And then, and then, but this is brilliant. It's like, and then, and then it's on fire, and now we have to run. You know, it's like, okay, so they had sacks. And there's some great things where some. What I love about it is some plot points were resolved in that reel. Yeah. That have just been now they're a given. Is okay. He's wounded. Um, and then there was like, I had no idea that you were the El Rey. Suddenly they've reconciled, and other characters have shown up, and now they're just here. It's, it's genius. It's like if only we, if only we could all make all movies like this. Tarantino talks uh, talks about you know when him and Rodriguez first had the idea. Um, they were talking about doing this, and the missing real gag came came from the fact that he had just watched some Italian movie that had a missing real thing, and you know before before the missing real bit, it was oh this guy this guy and this woman had an affair, or after the missing real, it was like oh uh, they had sex, but he says they didn't, and she <laughs> says they did, 
but you don't know who is actually telling the truth because the actual event was in the missing reel and how he felt it actually made it a little more interesting because you genuinely <laughs> didn't know genuinely didn't know who it was who, who was correct effect of the mise scene of the mise scene of the whole effect the same um Another, another interesting thing about this movie is whether or not it's a zombie film. Um, certainly it involves dead people walking around and trying to eat people's brains. But uh, it depends on how much of a zombie purist you are as to whether that counts uh, as a... Yeah. I mean, like, it, it's certainly more a mutant film. Uh, or, or like a, a, a crazy virus sort of... Yeah, 28 uh, Days Later film. sort of a deal, yeah. yeah. Because some people are alive, some people are not. They're all kind of going, you know, they're all becoming horrible monster creatures. Right. Are they technically dead? Are they risen from the dead? There are some risen from the dead, clearly, because we saw people who were dead in the, um, I've never held two guns before. No, that we saw, um, we saw people, you know, we saw two, uh, we saw several corpses. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, all, I buy all this. Where it's a like, beautiful thing. Well, again, they did the, the great, the, the great thing where suddenly in the missing reel, you know, yeah, where where Michael Bean says, "I just I didn't realize you were El Rey," and then suddenly like now it's like we don't know what that means, but apparently it's amazing. <laughs> it's a badass thing. Oh, and then Tom Savini was one character too many, so they needed yeah. to. And of all people uh, to get pulled apart, you know, wow. he's the one. Wow. It was a good that effect. A really, yeah, it's a very good effect. They just and it was simple. You know exactly how yeah. they did it. Yeah. Yep. They just lined it up perfectly and no one moved and And then they did a flash blood. effect like blood in the camera yeah. to block the transition. And somehow the crazy babysitter twins are here. And you could literally look up at, at, at that that's that's what they're cre- <laughs> that's what they're credited as, right? The crazy babysitter. I love this. I just love Which they were like they were talking about making a movie. But if you look them up if you want to see some some nice uh, softcore photos of the baby crazy babysitter twins, feel free to google that because they they they're still up, they're a thing. They became a thing oh, as a so result of this. We're coming up on a uh, on, a, on a, 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 one of the slightly over the top sequences that I actually like, which is with no vehicles left for everybody. El Rey is forced to drive the mini bike, <laughs> and yes. that that to me that's almost the point where the movie becomes, if anywhere, it's almost too much like a wink. Like okay, but see, we see how we did that. We turned it on its head. You know, it's hysterical. I you know I get the joke. But it is kind of like I don't think even in an exploitation movie they would do that. It's a thing you would only do ironically. Yeah, you know? yeah it's yeah. like they weren't above that. I mean, I, I've I've seen bad movies where they're trying to be funny, and then this movie might just be capitalizing on their sense I mean, of humor. You know, yeah. Where, oh, we made our oh, this is so fun. We're making the most awesome movie ever, but we had the badass guy write a little stupid buddy. That's funny, right? Makes movie. There's no doubt that it's you know it's crazy, silly, insane. Go Rose, oh, go! Right. I hadn't noticed that, but the uh, the uh, the grade on the film is much more substantial in the bo- in the awesome parts. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, it, that, it which gets is, it gets more degraded in the action scenes. Which is not, I, I like. I'm glad you pointed that that reasoning out to me, Trey, because it's that's very much not what's happening in Death Proof. In Death Proof, it starts with it with this kind of heavy grading, and it just kind of gradually disappears over the course of the movie. But that by the time you get to the end, it's fairly it's it's just straightforward. Looks, yeah, it's, it looks like yeah. a modern film, and I. I can't really see if there's any kind of rhyme or reason the way, you know, you mentioned with this. Do you think maybe there, that exists for Tarantino Death Proof. just what, didn't actually have the balls to commit to like his final action sequences being in such a heavy grade? He's like, why don't we just slowly remove I, it? I can't imagine Tarantino ever not having big enough balls to just do something <laughs> like that. Uh, there must be some reason, but I don't think that would be it. Zarvan has a great point. There should be a trope for people who never wipe blood off of their face. <laughs> yes. That's great. It's always there. And there's also a trope uh, that we referred to before. It's called, uh, what do you mean it's not awesome? 
Anyway, how does that trope work exactly? It's whenever something like that is is fetishized to the point where it's like, "What do you mean it's not awesome?" <laughs> okay, fair enough. You know, uh, Sucker Punch would be yeah, a film long example right of what do you mean it's not awesome. That's I, I do always, I do like the babysitter twin there who does the thing when they give her this big gun and she reacts and she goes fucking cool <laughs> she's all into it. Oh, there's the useless talent thing, which is why I felt oh, like Cherry yeah. Darling could easily have been a recurring character in future uh, yeah. future Grindhouse movies. Well, she's, she's set up for the sequel. There's no doubt about it. So this that's, there was a joke here to get it's an audio joke and we've already passed it where he he when he first drives the truck or she drives the truck into the into the place and everyone's getting on board and he goes uh, I need someone to drive my truck and Michael Bean you know bleeding from the neck staggers past goes I'll do it <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like you know that's my job I gotta drive the truck. I know lesbian sequence sort of yeah yeah exactly. Uh- yeah. I'm Cherry. You, you sure, sure are. <laughs> wah, wah. She's a lesbian. So, yeah. Now, here's like, literally, it's like the whole movie's basically been constructed to like, and here is the quintessential exploitation mon- mon- you know, montage. It's like, okay, <laughs> let's see. Let's see if we get our elements. We've got two scantily clad hot chicks on a motorcycle. Check. Check. <laughs> We've got more we got the muscle car with the shotguns in the back. We've got more Check. hot chicks with, with hot chicks riding shotgun in the back, right? We've got the big massive truck that's just mowing people down. Check. And uh, and we got uh, lead hero ironically on a uh, tiny no, it's scooter. It's amazing these these bodies that they're hitting oh. must have been basically just like bags of blood on like yeah. a mannequin because they just literally explode like water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're like water balloons just yeah. going. Sarban points out they had trouble finding this little mini bike because they're so dangerous. No one sells them anymore. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> um, also, Joe points out the uh, trope carfoo. Mm. Which I think we can just imagine. Well, I think Carfu though is is a extension of the Buffy the Vampire. Any way you fight, add foo to it. So there's gun foo, car foo. There's magic foo. It's also in the Buffy the Vampire Slayer role playing game. So now, then, so then, what exactly is a kung? Kung? I don't know. I, I mean, <laughs> that's that's the red pepper. That, isn't that's it? the it's whole like problem. With like, well, why is Watergate not Watergate Gate? You know what I mean? Because like, if, if <laughs> Web, well played. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Web, by the way, the best sketch comedy group that has ever existed. I put them up there with Brian Laurie. Uh, I would say they beat Brian Laurie, but only just barely. Fair enough. And then uh, Armstrong and Miller are high on the list as well. <laughs> Is there? <laughs> well played, Farley. What about? Can there be foo foo? Can we do that? Foo yeah, foo? I mean, so uh, I guess someone who's like a master of Mu Guy Gong and can use all styles collectively is has foo foo. Yeah. <laughs> His foo foo is very strong. He has very many foos. He knows foo foo. And, and now Bruce Willis knows who he is. He's so famous, El Rey. Even Bruce Willis knows who El Rey is. Which, again, is great because we they're never going to say what that means or what it is. <laughs> oh, back to that military base. The, it's the always mili- two miles away. Meanwhile, Which military base? The military base. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, eight minutes. Can we get the big reveal in between now and then before I have to leave? Uh, the big reveal being? Uh, the big reveal being why the military wants the gas. Yes. Which is actually, I think, kind of the, the one part of this that I thought was really exceptionally clever. It was actually, yeah. It, it, and it's weird because, again, it, it means it it's a modern movie. Again, it, it's referencing modern things. Mm-hmm. And uh, it does, you know, in a place that, you know, it, in, a, in a thing that God knows we've seen enough tropes of. The evil military is doing the evil military things. It's like they, they actually, like, wow, they actually... That one's not so bad as as many like hundred million dollar movies do as their as their main plot point. Well, it's a, it's, a, it's certainly an interesting aspect too, where they're like, uh, you know, that this DC two 
is uh, is so dangerous, but if you constantly intake it, it doesn't affect you. Yeah. Once you've been exposed, you have to keep yeah. taking it. So it basically yeah. makes this crack commando team uh, into DT- DC2 addicts. <laughs> L. Ray's talking, you know, neurotoxins with the scientists. I love how the, 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 the twin <laughs> there just Ray. has, like, perfectly latticed blood on her chest in every time. God damn. <laughs> yeah, that's what. I just love this. <laughs> yeah, Did go on. more kung fu jokes? You know, Crichton wished he could have just, ah, this is. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Sphere, yes, I know, I'm very smart. He wanted to be doing this. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Crichton's grindhouse. That actually would be oh, amazing. Dude, that would actually Make be that great. sketch appear immediately. That's right. Someone, someone, I want put the word out. Someone needs to write that and come up with it. But it has to be good. Don't make it suck now. That's a good idea. Don't blow it. <laughs> Michael Crichton's character. Well, I guess you could probably extrapolate that a million different ways. By the way, in the theater, that's that shot, not this shot, the previous shot, just coming that's... out of the bright elevator, everyone erupted into applause. Because that's a brow line you can recognize even behind a mask. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's crazy there he is. is that uh, uh, the, uh, up until that point, I thought they were still on some sort of moving vehicle, too. Like I somehow got the impression in the cage they were in the back of a truck, and then all of a sudden there's an elevator, and I'm like, oh. Uh, oh I, guess I guess not. I'm sorry. Well, I know we're I know we're taking you down to meet the boss and some such, but do you think you have time for rape? <laughs> yeah. For sure. Also, do you ever do you have time for a conversation about yeah. pop culture? Because yeah. as it happens, this is a really really long elevator ride, <laughs> yeah. so we have time for a lengthy conversation. Have you have you met basically Star Trek? Have you met me before? Because when I start a conversation, get comfortable. Because if you brought a lunch, that would be even better. Don't ask me about a Madonna. Good God. Uh, yeah. Joe points out there's a trope called creator cameo, which happened in Revenge of the Sith, if I recall correctly. George Lucas yes. shows up as a blue alien in Revenge of the Sith. In the, in the opera scene. Mm-hmm. In the hallway outside. The sperm scene. Anyway. See, and anyway. this is also another thing, too, where, where I think I lo- Tarantino is in love with this sort of, like, Unnecessarily sociopathic. I'm interpreting your looks dialogue, which occurs <laughs> in everything. Like, was that? Will you give me that look that says this? Like it's in everything he does. Well, I tell you, it, I have to say, in, in from dusk till dawn, which is again, mm-hmm. which is kind of two movies in and of itself. Um, the moment they walk through the doors of the Titty Twister from dusk till dawn turns into a totally different movie than it was until that point. But um, both movies are kind of entertaining. But the, he's he's genuinely disturbing. Yeah, and and as the as the criminal, and uh, I mean, he literally is. I mean, they could have just continued. They could have finished from dusk till dawn with no vampires in it, and it's just been a really disturbing, you know, very grindhouse esque, um, you know, story about criminals. Yeah, about the the Gecko brothers, and yeah, Richie yeah. Gecko is exceptionally. Yeah, he really is genuinely scary in that because he's. I like I like Tarantino. I think yeah. he I think he is actually a good actor. It's I would I would love to see him do something where he isn't, you know, this self-indulgent, where it's just, he's not playing in his own sandbox, you know? I would love to see what that would be like. Hmm. Okay, there's a thing called, Joe points out, author appeal. I'll read it. A kind of fan service where the presence of a particular gimmick or kink is so widespread and prominent that it's interpreted as the specific reason the creator actually produced that work. Now, that's good. Good, good trope. Why don't we call it appeal to authority? That's cool. Oh, Just wow. do a little hyphen in there. Appeal to authority. I think this is why you made that. Um, and you could argue that uh, basically everything that was killed, Bill, was just because he wanted to see Uma Thurman's feet in close-up. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> a lot. Uh, anyway. But that's cool. I like that. 
I don't know what moment of Planet Terror you could pick out of out of the line and say, oh, that's why they made this movie. Maybe the machine gun leg. I have no idea. <laughs> that was a smooth gun foo move that, there. Yeah, that was, that was some <laughs> serious gun foo right there. Yeah. That's actually a, a gun foo trick. Like I don't I don't buy gun foo really generally at all, but I would I would actually buy that if I saw that in real life. I'd go, okay, that was good. That's good. Well, I don't buy gun foo in, in terms of like in equilibrium or something like yeah. that. Yeah, you know, it's, it's just sort of a thing. But uh, but to, I just use again foo to everything. It's like that was a good trick with a gun. It's right, like, right, right. Here, yeah, here no, you no, go, yeah. bang. Yeah. But what well, if there was a massive scandal involving the foos? It would be fugate. Fugate. <laughs> <laughs> See the one action. It's pronounced fuge. Fouget. Yeah, she was the producer the of Ronnie Williams. Catherine Fouget. White skin on, on the, the black, black market. <laughs> yeah, they're, still, they're watching Grindhouse movies. Yeah. Those are some great, see, uh, see, those are some great like... graphics back there. I, that's, like, that's great set design. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's pretty authentic. I've built sets like that. I, I also feel like uh, the, you know, the, these guys who are clearly sustained by this gas take their masks off a lot. <laughs> they're just like... And then they go, oh, right, boom, pop it back up. As soon as the boils start to form. There you guys, one of Bruce Willis's and, eight shots in the movie. Yeah, and I guess the, the, the somehow the boils go down at that point? Then they go away. Yeah. Like they do. That makes sense. You know. Yeah, why not? Magic bean. can work however yeah. it needs to work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Willis should rock the goatee more often. Oh, that's a really good He looks cool in this. He even has hair. Yeah, he, this is rather late for him to have a real head of hair, isn't it? Who says real? Who says real? I never said real. Well... <laughs> But and by real I mean he's also rocking substantial, a not uh, yeah, really right, not authentic. Lewis, um. Wilson, <laughs> Newman, dun dun dun. Just you know, he's actually exceptionally good at just looking imposing. <laughs> he really is. It's like if you get Bruce Willis to show up and do anything in your movie, just do it. I want to cast Bruce Willis just to have the most like terrifying moment in cinema be him lighting up and laughing. At something that's incredibly scary, that would be a terrifying sociopathic response. If like something awful is happening and Bruce Willis just starts laughing at it, oh yeah, shivers. Like like the big scene from uh, you know, when all the shit went down in Usual Suspects. If you show that whole sh- the whole boat blowing up and then you just cut to him going, <laughs> wow, Brian just scared me. Yeah, weird. Don't open your eyes that much when you laugh. <laughs> what about when I frown? Oh. That's just funny. <laughs> weird. So here they so this uh weirdly enough, you know, this this pretty much describes what the actual operation to get bin Laden was like. Uh, yeah. you know, and the whole it pretty worked out pretty much worked out the same way. I, I don't know why the Obama administration didn't why it took them so long if that were the case. <laughs> they had it all worked <laughs> out. It was all spelled in, out in, here in, in this mm-hmm. movie. What was this? Two thousand six, two thousand seven? Seven. Seven. Uh, it's just, you know, I, I, the 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 army commander trying to do right by his men who've been screwed by the government is never something I'm upset about for some reason. It's yeah. always oh, it's it like you know uh, yeah yeah. It's unlike so many movies, you know, again, hundred million dollar movies, of, you know, they're walking this line. Um, you know, it's like this is when the bad guy, the bad guy's motivation makes sense to me. It I, has I, a point, yeah, and <laughs> yeah. I sympathize with. Him. I get it. Yeah, uh, I yeah. relate to him. Yeah, yeah, on whatever level necessary. Yeah, so it. I, I guess it goes back to the fact that, you know, you, you hit those fundamentals of as long as you have characters that are doing human things, I say, <laughs> as if Bruce turns into as, a non-human. As, as a walking side of beef starts to as mutate on the screen. But as long as your characters are doing, you know, something that you can relate to as an audience member and that you can you can sympathize and empathize with, 
then your movie can work. That's that's the core. And then doesn't matter what other window dressing you put on, you put mm -hmm. around it, as long as that's there, you can get away with quite a bit. And again, looks like a that is a seamless seamless effect. That's an amazing effect, isn't it? I'm more impressed by the bandage. Easy to texture a uh, hard surface like uh, the, the leg or the, the gun. The bandage, you have to nail that texture for the light to crawl across it the right way, and they do a good job with that. The now, tracking is also impressive. There's a lot of tracking going on, obviously, for every shot. But now the bandage is tricky. Does the 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 post grading and the color grading and all the film artifacts does that make does that end up helping hide the effect, or does that make the yeah. effect oh, yeah. harder oh, yeah. to achieve? Yeah. Anything okay. you can add to yeah. anything you can add to an effect Over shot top. on top of it will tie everything together that way. Okay. In fact, sometimes what I'll do is I'll run a process that uh, basically inverts the colors and then inverts them back. It's not just that simple. It it actually has an effect on the image before it does it. But the result is it ties it in just that much more. And if you can have it be dark, if you can have noise on top of it, if you can have a, le a lens flare across it. Well, that's what you talked about with J.J. Abrams and, and Star Trek, doing right. not only the lens flares but also the that dust. Uh, that dust pass, that kind of like dirty lens effect that he has on a lot of uh, Star Trek stuff. Right. Anything you can add on top helps, including help, color correction. Helps That's the effect, and also it, it it first of all it it just gives that sense of you know this is obviously creating a, a very extreme form of that, but it, it, it was all photographed. Yeah, that this is real. You know, it's a piece of film and not like you know a perfect a perfectly clean thing that came out of a computer. This is horrifying, and I love it. I was giggling in the theater. I giggled last night. I just—he's he, trying to rape her, but his dick's falling off. <laughs> yeah. I'll make it work. Yeah, that moment—I just it's fucking all right. Yeah, all right, movie. Let's go. I've seen me a stripper with twelve toes. That's a great gun. I've seen all kinds. This is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. I've been to Morocco, <laughs> which I don't think actually means anything in particular. Uh, usually, Bangkok would be the reference you would make. Uh, you've never been to Singapore. Yes. Attempted rape trope. <laughs> Oop. Oh, and oh, now she's oh. got a spike, and this is not going to go well. Yeah. Oh. There you go. Oh. And then, well, oh, and then the splinter. That's another key difference between actual grindhouse films. You never would have seen that actual shot. Because you would have seen the makeup effect later. You would, yeah, well, you would have cut away. In grindhouse, you would have. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Again, it, it was okay. Grindhouse movies, you know, it's okay for them to be rated X because it's not like they were going to be. Yeah. They're not advertising well, in papers saying, anyway. Now, is porn... Because there's no way to, they would have actually been able to achieve that effect. Or am I wrong about that? Well, no, that, that effect's pretty straightforward. That could be, you know, I would do it as a reverse. I was going to say, you do it reverse. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You uh, you have it stuck on his eye, and then you very carefully come down on it, uh, and it just sticks to the leg and come back up, and then play that backwards, and it comes down with the leg, boom, and it sticks there when he removes the leg. Hmm. Wouldn't be easy because the trouble you'd run into is specifically getting it. Uh, Getting your leg to stick to the piece of material <laughs> without pushing it into the eye. This is so over the top. Balls. It's crazy over the top. But he's enjoying it, so that's fine. And we always use this joke, but it's funny here. And Tarantino didn't even know they were filming. <laughs> he thought they were on lunch break. <laughs> now, is uh, porn exploitation by definition? I'd say so, yeah. 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 Exploiting well, sex. Yeah. Basically. It's uh, a movie that exists just to you know, deliver the thing that you, you know, you want out of it. And the the movie, the rest of the movie is just an excuse. It occurs to me that exploitation might not refer to the, the movie or the actors or the characters or the plot. It might actually refer to the audience. You're exploiting their desire to see this or that. And if that's the case, then it certainly is. Somewhat. Well, I mean, it's it's taking a, a th well, you can exploit the audience, I guess, by taking their money. But, uh, you know, the idea of it is 
it's exploiting a certain thing because that's what an audience wants to see. Could could you define it as you know you're expo- you're giving the audience this you know mash whatever they want to see sex drugs rock and roll violence but with without also commuting you know containing some kind of genuine theme you know that would define that would otherwise unify the work that you're creating and classify it as art. Dun, 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 dun. Ooh. So could could you define it as you know we're we're giving you all the sex drugs rock and roll and stuff as a reverse shot without yeah. the the higher purpose of what film and cinema and stories should be which is to communicate some thematic ideal so if you're oof. well again you, you're looking at the perspective where movies look like this anyway and this is just you know a green grainy movie that right. could have been released again Grindhouse dates from an era when. No Hollywood movie would have anything to do with things being shoved into people's eyeballs and, you know, and, and, and I, I cut a guy's balls off for fun and, you know, and, and rape scenes and things like that. I mean, this it's the whole idea of a movie that has plot and theme and even cares about those things is so not what this movie, these movies would ever right. have been. Right, but that's, that's what I'm saying, though. And, and now we, in this modern day, we've, we've had the, the flip where the – the big studio tentpoles are the exploitative films that are just giving us the sex, drugs, and rock and roll and not giving us any kind of real thematic idea in, in most cases. So do we want to ask the question how she operates the gun? Or No. no. The, the, filmmakers, no. the filmmakers, you know, they know that there's no way that she can operate the gun. You know, Tarantino, uh, you know, Rodriguez says that. He goes, hey, how does she fire the gun, by the I'll way? Bet you the I don't reason, know. I'll bet you the filmmaker reason that they never show it or explain it mm-hmm. uh, is because if they wanted to have it be that she has to hold up and wrap her finger on the trigger, mm-hmm. that would be impossibly difficult with the effect. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And you also just don't get the cool scene where she gets to spin around and you know and point the I, gun. I and break down uh, yeah. i think the answer is off camera el ray has de- determined a uh, has de- devised yeah. some sort it's of el ray figured, and he's el ray man he's got yeah. it worked out he's, he, actually the gun was just like oh, oh my god yeah. you're el ray and it's this excuse like himself. to do this which is fucking awesome come on now yeah it's like Zack snyder saw this and said you know whole movie i bet i could do a whole movie that felt like this and sure enough, he did. But somehow grosser. <laughs> <laughs> Except mine will be blue instead of red. Uh, and there's a trope called the theme music power-up, which <laughs> basically the rest of the movie is the theme music power-up. But I love, love the theme music in this. It's very simple, I know, but I just love the uh, – I wish there was a word well, that – Well, that's another one of Rodriguez's gifts. The yeah. music in his yeah. films are is always fantastic, and it really gets you going. It, like, it just causes a, a pulse. He's probably the only example – there is uh, at this level, anyway, of a guy who you know directs and then also does his own music. Yeah, I Carpenter mean, Halloween. Carpenter would be yeah. Carpenter would be would be about the only other example. But but Carpenter's scores are, are nowhere nearly as musically complex. You know, he, he basically Carpenter got a synthesizer and like and it works. There's no doubt about it. But I think as a musician, I think Rodriguez is a little more sophisticated. But as a point of interest, it isn't seven four time. Yes. Now this this sequence here again, you know, when I'm watching this movie for the first time, I'm like, okay, just like in any real exploitation film, and here's like a nice surprise move that you don't see coming. But uh, but the idea of however they got here, just the fact that they're here, that's the point of this movie is a bunch of scantily clad chicks running through a warehouse yeah. with explosions, yeah. and everyone's got automatic weapons, and, and that's been reduced to almost exclusively scantily it's almost clad chicks, also, including a few yeah. more that we, I don't and, think we saw yeah. previous to this point. Exactly, who just and happened to show up, including the scantily clad cop for some reason. Yes, yeah. somehow, yeah. which is my probably my favorite. The hot, unnecessarily hot cop. Yep. Y M C A. 
Yeah, and this is, you know, much like, you know, Shaun of the Dead gets to that point. You go, oh, this is the movie we're making. This is the point in Planetary. You go, this, this is, is the movie yeah. we're making. They really, this is, they're doing this on purpose. Yeah. It was all just to get us to this. And he's, Jeff Fahey and good old Michael Bean. Yeah. I, I love Jeff Fahey quite a bit. I He's good. Can I float a, a thought? No. The Asylum Try. is a grindhouse. Oh, yeah. A, a, yeah, Asylum yeah. is Trey, a grindhouse director. Grindhouse. Absolutely, yeah. It is, the, it is a grindhouse by the absolute definition, too. Sure. Where it's, ba- yeah. it's making yeah. them out. Yeah. It's making, they're grinding, yeah, they're grinding all right. them out very inexpensively, and they're making them based on things they think people want to see in an exploitive way. <laughs> I mean, and it's perfectly good. That's that's actually, there should be more places like that that are making those kind of movies. Yeah. And as fast as they can. Isn't it? It's. I mean, again, it's the weird way the world has turned in the past 30, 40 years. Now the grindhouses are just duplicating what the studios make. Just yeah, you know, we're we're gonna do the cheap version of all the sex, drugs, and rock and roll that they're doing for a hundred million dollars. It's an odd twist. Uh, the other thing too, though, is that you know lately the big budget movies no longer have like any sort of um, uh, monopoly on really good content. Somehow the little you know indie films are still coming out with good stuff you just need to watch a hundred of them to find one yeah. and there's and they and they if they don't take off virally then no one really knows about them until it's far too late but i think that the more movies being made the better it is for everybody because the the big studio stuff is so calculated now that it just doesn't have the chance to do stuff like this half the time right <laughs> it's so it's so market tested and, and focus grouped and so purely like calculated as an equation based on demographics beforehand, before anything even goes anywhere, that there's no, there's no genuine personality like that, for example. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. they went there. That's the point. They and, just and went there. Like no boardroom would ever think of that. Yeah. Oh, they would absolutely think of that. Or, or they, would, they would say, they would see the dailies and say, no, we can't do this. And I think that if you, if you look at enough of these, like, these upstart, production facilities that are making these you know quick direct-to-video direct-to-redbox movies you get more gold there over time than you do with big hollywood releases i mean you usually get two or three movies a year that make it out into theaters for major release that are really good but there's probably 10 times that amount that are going direct-to-video they just there's no way of really finding them yeah i don't know i i think (laughs) for now we'll see how how much longer if you're looking for like netflix recommends then you look at like the people who comment on youtube videos clearly there are a lot of idiots out there who don't know what's going down there's a fascinating uh, essay i read recently just um uh-huh. yeah just again this is the promise of the premise it's like okay she's a chick she's got a gun leg and she's a go-go dancer and a contortionist you know just just, just run yeah. with it you know, just skill number use the skill um there was a there, fascinating essay recently, and <laughs> she gets to put on the glasses for no particular reason other than it's cool. Um, fascinating essay, I think it was on IO9, perhaps, but um, wrote about how you know the appreciation of movies in general is is they, they, their point was being degraded by social media because all you find are more movies. If you like that, you'll like this. Yeah. As opposed to here's a thing you have no have never been exposed to whatsoever in your life. Try it. You know, yeah. it's, it's like, well, I it's, think you should, you should be able to set Netflix to be the opposite. If you like this, you're guaranteed to hate this. You're going to think this is a suck fest, you know, but, you, but you, you're like, but then you go, I don't know. I'll give it a try. You know, and then suddenly you realize you like, you know, Lawrence Olivier and Jane Eyre or something like that. I saw that too. Now I'm trying to remember what it was. Damn it, damn it Trey. It, well, it's, what it's, was that thing? It's the same concept as the prolification of all the media that we have. Now that we have t- 30 cable news channels you can pick one that matches your yeah i want the one one that gives me the news i want to hear exactly and 
it's counterintuitive. We have all of these options now that are giving us all of this range, both you know, in all kinds of media. But the fact that we have all these options allows us to to stay within our very narrow confines of of you know, this is what I like, and I only I can fill my days entirely with this, and never have to worry about you know trying anything new. Well, uh, unfortunately, gentlemen, I need to run. Stephen Fry. It was Stephen Fry talking on stage. Stephen Fry is such a genius. Okay. Not, not that I was aware Stephen of. Stephen Fry is the, is the biggest reason I wish I was gay, P.S. <laughs> um, <laughs> I tweeted, as you not, go, you can take Not too video. late. I uh, tweeted uh, at one point, imagine Ian McKellen fucking Stephen Fry. Your day just got classier. Yeah, it did. <laughs> it did. Still um, somehow that works. Yeah. Uh, if you don't mind me doing a little shameless plug on the way out the door. Do it. Uh, I have a number of podcasts. The two that are most relevant are one I do called Fandom Planet, which is basically an exploration of what I've people like. I've heard of like. that. Fandom Planet's good. Are you Fandom Planet's sax car? Uh, yes, I am. I'm Fandom Planet's oh. sax car. But also I do As a new S-A-X-C-A-R-R? podcast. S-A-X-C-A-R-R? That's the one. In fact, at sax car, if you so choose. P.S. This destroys rotor blades. Don't do this at home if you ever have a chance yeah, to fight no. zombies. Um, <laughs> but it's I, awesome um, in a movie. Uh, I... Uh, I also have a new podcast called the Pizza Games and Zombies Podcast, which is every Thursday, and that is literally me and my friends eating pizza. That's a new pizza every week, playing a different board game and talking about zombies. So if you like those things, that sounds like an awesome. <laughs> wow, yeah, that's PGZ Cast uh, or at PGZ Cast at Twitter dot com or on at Twitter. You know what I mean? Or or Pizza <laughs> at the, Games and at Zombies. That's a thing where everybody com. is with things. And I have a couple of other podcasts, but you know what? Just figure it out for yourself. Or you can go to my website, HavingSacksOnline dot com. So um, <laughs> goodbye, sir. Goodbye. Good, uh, gr- great movie. Glad to be back. Did uh, the other movie I did, did uh, Zombieland come out yet? No, we're going to do it again. The- You're going to do it again? We're going to do it again. Yeah. You asses. That is so freaking funny. <laughs> Plus, I was creating the whole trope idea of how deep the derp in that episode. <laughs> that does need to come back. That was a good one. All right. Well, all right. Well, if you guys want to do it again, that's fine. I personally disagree. Nah. <laughs> Bye, folks. Hey, there he goes. There he goes. You're bringing back the wallet chain. I hadn't noticed. God among men. <laughs> sex car, ladies and gentlemen. Big hand. That's a wrap on sex car. We'll have Seth sit in for the rest of the commentary. Oh, yeah, fair enough. Oh, Here comes Seth Brower. He's God, I thought that guy would never leave. Oh, <laughs> and here they actually do manage to pay off like two little, two little things. They actually, they actually did. You know, even even Rodriguez goes, well, we have to like set up and pay off something. We can't be totally <laughs> random with this fucking thing. So what is the is the beautifully you know. You know, you're definitely pregnant because I never miss. <laughs> there's that, which is like, that's very great. And then there's the, you know. As your dying words, how badass yeah, is that? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, oh, no, you're pregnant. You're oh, going to go out on something. I came, on your, I came in your brain, <laughs> as, Pat, <laughs> as Pat Oswalt would say. So, and then the uh, this this image of her, like, you know, whee, it's like, damn, that's a pretty striking little image. Some of the crane, you know, digital helicopter. And then there's this bizarro, you bizarre know, little the, 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 the post-apocalyptic, you know, Nirvana. And of course, they have to go to Mexico because you know everything's cool there. So, Seth, how do you feel about the last five minutes of Planet Terror? <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest. This is the first time I've actually sat and watched. Um, oh this will be the first time I've seen this movie. So, well, okay. Oh, really? then, yeah, d- yeah. Then, then you can't be talking right now because one of the one of the better jokes is about to happen right now. But anyway, so yeah, she's leading them to this new <laughs> utopia. The 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 crazy woman with the uh, you know the pregnant woman. Apparently, Rose McGowan is singing the song that we're not listening to. Oh, I yeah. didn't know that. That's cool. Good I love the her. fact that they get to the to the utopia, the promised land, and there's still zombies there. And there's a oh, helicopter yeah. parked on top of Machu Picchu. Yeah, I know. It's like it's a brilliant, it's just a I, great I, image. I do want to go to this place, though. Yeah. Look how gorgeous that I is. Know, oh, is that, that sexy? Is beautiful. Yeah. Maybe I'll just miss my friend. Mexico's got mm-hmm. some good stuff, man. Zay Watanejo. So here we go.
So it's like if you if you want to know how the other gun works, then you don't want to ask about this. <laughs> but that's okay, because look, it's cool. Come on, you don't even want to think about the kickback on that. Yeah, thing. where does she put the bullets exactly? No, it's, I know it's, it's not Machu Picchu. Just an excuse to have this good. open this closing shot. Where it's like now everyone's in bikinis. Yeah, <laughs> I like I like the. Give me the blonde with the with it's the so rifle. Much, it's so weird how much it looks like the Fast Five poster. <laughs> <laughs> it's again such a fine line. Sometimes it becomes invisible. Fast and the Furious is totally an exploitation film. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. oh yeah. Fast and Furious is exactly what Grindhouse would have been making thirty years ago. Whoa, wait, is Fast and the Furious another Planet Terror? Bringing back the old uh, car carploitation. It, de- it depends it, um, on whether you include that definition of like they have to be intentionally doing that. I don't know if they're intentionally yeah. doing that in Fast and the Furious. Yeah, they might have right. slid into doing that, but it definitely started as more of a let's do an action movie based around cars, I think. I mean, I think now that they're on the fifth, probably I'm sure they'll do a sixth Oh, one. yeah. At this point, it's Fast definitely five. slid into Fast the let's just milk this. $200 million this. in its oh, opening God, yeah. weekend or something. Yeah. Something insane. Yeah. And it was fun. Was it, I, I was that saw it in theaters. possible? You know. It, it was f- a fun movie. Okay. It was retarded and fun. It was fucking Planet Terror. Anyway. Planet Terror is, uh, I know we spent the first 30 minutes building up a context for the conversation about Planet Terror, <laughs> um, but I thought it was quiet. I really enjoyed the conversation, and uh, I know some of the people in the chat thought we weren't talking about it enough and that we were talking about Death Proof too much. Eh, guilty, whatever. We weren't going to get that commentary in the can without saying anything about Death Proof. This is, fucking, I haven't had this much fun with a movie in a long time, and it's just so weird and so retarded and <laughs> just is what it is. Um, it's, but it's a, you know, it's a retarded kid, but he's a cheerful retarded kid. He's fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's fun to hang around with. He's like me. This movie's like me. <laughs> <laughs> he's very, it's a very high-functioning movie. It's a very see, look, he even has Troublemaker sound. He, he's totally doing the George Lucas thing. You can't see the credits, you yeah. genius. I love it. Yeah, but I he, love it. There's dro- yeah, but that before, Rick before, that Rick Gaffer is pissed. Just before this, oh, yeah, exactly. Definitely. It's really kind of sucky, but um, you, you can almost make it out. Yeah, but the the balls, um, the balls it takes to do this troublemaker sound. So he actually, I mean, he's a musician. You know, he's like, I want to build a music studio too. Yes, you know, it's, it's probably it's. I'm sure it's a mini Skywalker out there in Austin, Texas. By the way, I did my first as a matter of uh, interest, I suppose. Instead of finishing off a Planet Terror tangent, I, I did my first freelance gig as a, for a credit roll. I've done freelance effects for years and years. But a credit roll, and I was, and they were like, "Can you do a credit roll?" I was like, six hundred dollars." Like, all right. <laughs> do you have the credits? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, are, are, they, are they in a printed form that can be copied and pasted? I sure, think we're I good to go. <laughs> <laughs> that is literally exactly what happened. Yeah. Uh, but they want. They said we want to do something really interesting that no one's ever seen before. I'm like, I have three ideas. One of them was it was going to be uh, the text coming at the screen, coming into and out of focus, which mm. I think I've seen somewhere, but whatever. Another was uh, <laughs> they don't know that they were actually rotated. So if you imagine uh, like a necklace of credits and it's hanging down vertically, and it's just you take the bottom part of the string and just spin it, so it's actually spinning its way down. Oh, wow. And this is the one that I love the most, just because it's so simple and so much of a fuck you to the audience. <laughs> <laughs> imagine the normal credit roll, this credit roll. Rotate it 15 degrees to the left. So it's just going up the screen. Oh. It, it spawned. <laughs> spawned it down. Did that? Spawned it down. Yeah. Like a diagonal? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So okay. it's just kind of going. No From 3D bottom right to, yeah. to top left. Right. And then there was one, some movie where the credits come down, which I thought yeah. was cool. Well, that's, oh, that's they seven. Just, they just come, right? Was it seven? Yeah. I don't know. I think, I think they, Barry they, did that too. They come from above and they come down. They come from a land down under where women blow and men plunder. Really, men at work? Really? Brian? Yeah. Planet Terror. Uh, like I said, I, I'm glad this movie Spigley says yes at seven. Uh, I'm glad this movie exists. Um, oh, I, I would consider this and, and Death Proof, along with with Sucker Punch, in the sense that it, this is experimental film. This is like 
this is not really designed to do anything other than, hey, let's make this and see what happens. And I don't know what will happen, but let's just find out. Um, and I'm glad... I'm glad, you know, Tarantino. Film and damage Ryan... compositing supervisor Dav Roch. Well played, <laughs> yeah. motherfucker. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm glad Tarantino and Rodriguez were able to come out and and just do it. I'm I'm glad this exists, and it's fun. Um, I I haven't I hadn't seen it since it came out. I don't think I'll probably revisit it anytime soon. Uh, I don't it's really sort feel of like, the need it's, to. It's sort of strong candy. I mean, you, you it is. You, you can think back fondly and not have to see it. Exactly. I feel like me. Fondly remembering it is just as good. Is just as good as actually sitting down and Plus watching it. Plus, much faster. Much, much faster. Um, but like I said, I'm glad the I'm glad this exists. Look at that beautiful effect on the film. That's so cool. Yeah. That's so perfect. Anyway, uh, I believe, as I recall from the commentary, a lot of it is just real old film because these guys, you know, Tarantino and Rodriguez, like I'm going to buy actual prints. I'm going to be that retro about stuff, and they, you know, own yeah. prints of stuff. So these are like this is like Rodriguez's collection of thrashed film. <laughs> It's like, you know, just awful, you know, crazy old these ripped are, up leaders. These are all that, yeah. Which they, which they also then scanned and also turned into effects. So it's a, it's a mixture yeah, of right. things. There's a, our, our buddy Chad, who has this movie, Apocalypse California, coming out in the next couple of months. Keep your eye on Netflix to see uh, effect stuff that me and Weebs did. Also, Matt Fedeveda did work on that. Chad had a, a film where there was this sort of a thing going on. And the way he did it was he he already had a, a high 8 projector. He just bought a real high 8 film. Uh, and took it out to the garage and slid it on the ground, and then he dunked it in water, and then he projected it on the white screen and videotaped that white screen so he could use that as an element for whatever he needed to do. Same effect. Looks awesome. Not uh, this colorful. Works. I love the co- The color is what kills me, the pink and the purple and the orange. Anyway. Special uh, thanks to John Carpenter. Yeah, you bet. Seth, <laughs> do, you wanna, do you have a hankering to watch this movie? Do you think it would bug you? Um, I, I definitely enjoyed it. I mean, I might have to actually watch it now uh, again with the sound. Yeah, the uh, sure audio missing... in this movie is doing the same thing the video is. Yeah, I'm sure I'm missing a, a wacky half and overindulgent. But the music is really I, good. I went in kind of knowing what the Grindhouse thing was and kind of listening to you guys talk and watching it. And I'm like, okay, they did a really good job with this. I really enjoyed the movie. It had a good way of presenting what it wanted to present. I'm actually kind of curious now to see the other half and see if it is as bad as you guys say it is for the, for the counterpoint. I have a um, weird, like, masochistic desire to watch Death Proof again. <laughs> I just watched it recently, and is it still what it was? It is what it is. Did yeah. you enjoy it more the second time? <sighs> so no, okay, well, well, no, yeah, I mean, no. But here's, here's the code. Oh, here, here's, here's the, here's the, Rebel the, on the Rebel's beach. actually okay. See, he's on the beach. Which <laughs> is so odd. Yeah. Um, Again, it's well. It's like we said before. Death Proof is exactly what it's it's setting out to be. It's just Tarantino picked a bad movie the to remake. Thing to yeah. Be. yeah, yeah. Joe is uh, right in the chat room. Machete would have been a better half. Oh my god! Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, that would have been. Then, then you know, at least if you liked one, you would have liked the other. Now, now that said, the the the, the last thirty minutes, twenty thirty minutes of Death Proof are insane. Amazing. Are well, insane yeah. over yes, the top. That, you the most the, entertaining you thing you've ever seen in your life. Yeah. You make the trailer. Oh yeah, Death, Death Proof the that trailer. You, you can condense it. Yeah. To the, that, then you would have you know, been. Oh my god! I want to totally want to see that. Oh yeah. Anyway. I think that would have worked much better. Trey. Um, I, uh, do you, you know, at, do you look at this movie fondly? Yeah. Mm-hmm. On second thought, I don't care about this movie that much. I don't think it's that great. Um, <laughs> no, I was, it, it, I watched this movie when I, you know, came out on video. I was like, okay, well, I've heard about this thing. I'll check it out. And, and, uh, just, I was just, just grinning like an idiot the whole time. Just like, my God, they just, they went there. They just did this, you know, just unabashedly just did it and walked, I think walked that, you know, better than any other project I can think of. Walked that line of like literally recreating what this movie is trying to recreate 
and feeling like a real one and not like, oh, look, a bunch of rich Hollywood dudes right. are right, right, right. are mocking a genre or trying to do a genre or doing a, you know, a reboot of a genre. These guys are really trying to just do that genre. This doesn't feel as uh, crass as Super 8 <clears throat> somehow yeah. to me. And, uh, and they had to... Super 8 did feel a little commercial, a little, ah, uh, this, you know. I don't know. Yeah. Well, it felt. It might just I, be the difference between J.J. Abrams and. I, I think. I think you might, you might be thinking of is that it felt more sentimental, which would. He definitely tweaked that knob a little bit. Yeah, he, little he bit, did. But since bit. he was trying to redo Spielberg, I think that's yeah. appropriate. I think that I. I think, and again, I you know I wasn't at the pitch meeting. Um, I was outside trying to hear what they were saying. Um, that I think this is you know this is a. You know, when uh, you get the IMDb open, uh, what, uh, what's the budget on this bad boy? You know, for for two movies and a bunch of other movies as well. Um, let me guess. Let me guess. Let me guess. Don't tell me yet. I'm gonna go with for uh, for both of them. I'm gonna Is go with I'm gonna go with eighteen for both of them. We'll say nine each. I was gonna say forty for both. Forty? Wow, oh, that's yeah. a big discrepancy. Yeah, that's a yeah. I, I'd find it hard they, to believe they, they would do then. it for less. Are, than are you, you're asking for both now, right? Yeah. For Grindhouse, sixty-seven. Okay, yeah. Mm. Trey was way closer. And yeah. domestically, it made twenty-five. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, sucker punch. Sucker yeah, punch. bam. Um, you know, I, that's I'm sure it made up a bunch of that on the DVDs, though. Yeah, same kind of thing, though. It's like it's like it's really it's it should have cost it should have cost forty million. It should have cost twenty million. You know, then yeah. it's like, well, then why not? But again, you know, it's it's with the wine scenes. It's like these two guys. It's like, yeah, look, you know, you did you didn't think Kill Bill was going to work either, did you, Harvey? <laughs> <laughs> I'm Quentin Tarantino. Everything that falls out of my ass is gold. And this is Robert Rodriguez. He's Mexican. Um, falls off of my yeah. balls is gold. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, you know, yeah. Oh, no one knows. Opened, no one knows. It's like, why not make Grindhouse? And why not have fun? That it opened on Easter weekend. Which yeah, that's yeah, big, big Easter movie. Um, but why not? Why not do it? You know, it's like it, it has every right to work just as much as Sucker Punch did or a, any other movie does. There's a disturbingly choralistic blasphemous, you know, things coming back from the dead. You know? yeah. uh, it could kind of work. I see what you're getting. Plus, I see what you're getting at. If I recall, I haven't read the Bible in a while. I did read it. But there was a moment where Jesus was going to rape I've skimmed it. someone yeah. else in his body. The there is the part where Mary Magdalene has the machine gun for a leg. Yeah. That's so, I mean, that's, yeah. Pretty, that's pretty straightforward. I do recall Jesus being interrupted mid-rape by balls falling off. <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh... Oh, that's, that's Revelations, yeah. Yeah, that's Hi, clip that just happened. I'll see you in the mashup. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this has been Down in Front. You can always find more episodes at downinfront.net. Yeah. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Brand new episode every single week. Twitter, uh, Down in Front. Facebook, Down in Front Show. Email us at downinfrontshow at gmail.com. Really do. Email us. Email me. Email me. He's Email me. He's desperate. He has no friends. No friends. Forum. Involve yourself in the conversation. Seth's on the forum. Yay! Why aren't you? And at the forum, we announce every week when and where the live show will happen. You can get in the chat room, watch the video stream, watch along with us, and contribute to the commentary, do our tropes. Today it was Joe and Zarban. Thank you guys both at tvtropes.org. Go to the forum. The live chat always happens at uh, downinfront.net slash live, but the forum tells you what's happening. You can also follow up to Twitter. I guess we tell you there. And uh, let's see. Show notes and chapter breaks in iTunes when I give them to him. <laughs> Matt Fade Veda. And the whole uh, maintainment. Holden Hill, designed to maintain the website. And until next time, my name is T. Christie. Brian Finifter. Seth Brower. Trey Stokes. And this has been Down in Front. Thank you much for listening. Good night, good night. And you sex. got to say you're out. Name on the outro for the first time. <laughs> Woo! And Sax Car. Set, uh, and Sax Car, yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Seth's been here for like 30 episodes, and he always brings like donuts, and he's awesome. <laughs> and he, every now and then he'll talk on the episode, but you've never gotten to sit down and do it. And you got to do it for the last five minutes of a movie you haven't seen. <laughs> Sweet. Well, you got you to gotta, you gotta run before it's you can gotta walk. you got to have something, you know. <laughs> Trendsinyourhead.com.